Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. And I'm Lucio Fulshanna. Ah. And I feel like my brain is being eaten by Bokir? <laughs> Those rod puppet cats at the beginning of <laughs> Cat in the Brain. Those are so delightful. Oh, those are my favorite. I love those. those I wonderful. wanted them to come back, but they never did. Yeah, it, it, they're they're just a title sequence thing, but man, those are great. <laughs> uh, but our first film this week is David Cronenberg's 1983 film Videodrome, uh, masterpiece in my opinion, maybe my favorite Cronenberg. It, it, probably, definitely, really high up there. Strong um, contender I... for my favorite. I'd say it's my favorite of the ones that I've seen, although I've only seen a few of them. Mm. But uh, this is the best one. It's so good. Uh, like, it, it's it's crazy, especially. And it, it just good from last week, you know, uh, uh, continuity-wise, is that this was inspired by Emmanuel. Uh, specifically Emmanuel in America, not one of the ones we covered. Yeah, when you said that, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly, I uh, there's other more of those that I should watch. Well, like, I hadn't seen any of the Emmanuel, or the Black Emmanuel movies anyways, prior to this watch of Videodrome. Like, I've seen Videodrome lots of times. Right, right. But, uh... Yeah, watching it with that in mind and knowing specifically that it was inspired by Emmanuel in America and the weird snuff film ring plotline in that one, uh, it it was really interesting watching it. And I realized that like Debbie Harry's character, Nikki Brand, is Emmanuel. Like she's basically Emmanuel. She's got the same sort of flat affect that Laura Jemser has. Yeah, I definitely kind of see it the way she's like. "Mm." I should go audition to be on Videodrome. Yeah. That's an Emmanuel line. Oh, it's very Emmanuel. And like that whole sequence, it's semi-lifted from her seduction of the senator looking to find out the sources of the snuff film ring in uh, Emmanuel in America. And I feel like a lot of that whole last act of Emmanuel in America is kind of the primary influence on this uh, sort of spoilers for that movie but the senator gives her a bunch of acid and shows her snuff films and she has like a really crazy trip where she imagines herself in a videodrome-esque location being tortured it's crazy oh gosh does she have a stomach vagina that they have to put a gun inside of there's nothing quite like that <laughs> i mean that's a real cronenberg twist that that's the that's yeah okay that seems pretty cronenberg that's that cronenberg magic <laughs> so one thing straight off that i really like at the beginning is the opening credit style they're very much like a tv sitcom opening credits they got that kind of soft rounded corners they're orange oh yeah there's like a sinister synth sound under them by howard mm. shore but they like it it's it's a feeling of dread but at the same time they're these very cozy uh recognizable sort of thing you know they, they feel like, like uh, a, an 80s sitcom yeah like I, w- I was thinking like full maybe not full house but that kind of neighborhood yeah like a little earlier because this is 83 so oh like yeah full house strangers was... yeah <laughs> that's that's the era 
all time great theme song. <laughs> uh, so when cousin the, Balky, cousin Balky, uh, uh, Balky and cousin Larry, when the the video drone title pops up, uh, it glitches. There's like a signal interruption. Goes all fuzzy. Mm-hmm. So we go to Civic TV, the one you take to bed with you. <laughs> uh, what what is it like channel 83 i think i believe it is channel 83 it says james woods or max max uh ren uh james woods's character and he's really james woodsy but he's great he's really good in this yeah yeah i don't really like james woods i mean he it doesn't help that he sucks as a person, but <laughs> I, I liked him a lot more as a teenager. Uh, I'm, his style isn't really what I'm into these days, but he's an edgy he's good at this. Yeah. yeah, he's very good in this. I think there's a lot of stuff that he's really great in. He's really great at playing a sleazy guy because he is kind of a sleazy guy. Yep. <laughs> so it, he's very good at it. it. It comes across great. Uh, so he gets his morning message, which is a videotape form. Uh, that he gets from his secretary, who kind of yeah. low-key is in love with him, right? Yeah, so I had thought that this was like, that we were in some kind of dystopia and everybody got these messages, but nope. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does feel, his apartment feels very much like the apartment in Brazil. It kind of does. <laughs> he gets his video announcement and it's, uh, uh, your faithful girl Friday, Bridie James. And they say it's Wednesday the 23rd, but they don't say of. (laughs) There's no suggestion of what month or what year. It's just sort of any time, right? Yep, 23rd, Wednesday. That's all we need. (laughs) So he's got this 6.30 morning meeting with Shinji Karaki, I think it is, of Hiroshima Video. (laughs) (laughs) Which I wonder (laughs) if this is like a Yakuza related or yakuza funded production could be they did get into that this is like the early 80s when video production has taken off i mean i know they were involved in v cinema they funded a lot of that stuff so so sorry you mean like if videodrome was yakuza funded or no, the no. movie that he's watching yeah i'm talking about just hiroshima okay. video because they have all this <laughs> weird stuff like they have to meet him at this hotel room and they have like a suitcase full of tapes like they're drugs yeah <laughs> it does seem pretty weird and uh uh crimey <laughs> yeah uh so uh, first, he doesn't go there for his, uh, over breakfast while he's just standing in the kitchen eating. He's looking at this collection of maybe pornographic snapshots uh, that are stills from the Hiroshima video thing, like a preview of mm-hmm. it. Uh, so the meeting, the hotel that they meet in is fucking gross. It's like a, <laughs> it, it, it definitely feels like it's a, uh, paid by the hour kind of place again I- increasing the criminality of the transaction mm-hmm. <laughs> there's like a kind marital of... marital squabble in in the hallway <laughs> kind of reminded me of the quickie hotel from killer condom yeah it's same kind of deal a place that's mainly uh rented out to people who just need it for a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> for work purposes which is work what they're purposes. there for right? technically <laughs> 
uh, I mean, this is in the asex adjacent world, much like the Emmanuel movies, just kind of a grosser one, maybe a more mm-hmm. Joe D'Amato one. <laughs> so Max is like, uh, we'll put in episode 13. I'm like, oh, well, you won't understand. You need the plot. I'm like, my people, I don't care about the plot. I, I want to see the payoff. <laughs> yeah, it's like my, my people, my audience doesn't watch the first two episodes of a show. The very trashy logo for Samurai Dreams. <laughs> it's fun. So there's, uh, it's this lady in sort of a geisha outfit, and she has uh, a wooden dildo that's like dressed up as a geisha, and she like undresses <laughs> it and rides it. <laughs> I mean, implied, of course. It, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We don't this, see it, but this is something that could air on Canadian television in the eighties. <laughs> I, I like the way they cut from him watching it there to the reaction in the boardroom with his other partners. Oh yes, good good <laughs> editing, just uh, and especially sort of establishing video as a transitional space. It's it's a way we can move between places, and it sort of becomes an actual conduit. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> right now it's it's in an edit, but later he can kind of travel through video as reality. And other people do. Yeah. Um, well, we get to it, but I'm a little unclear as to what the powers everybody has ends up being. <laughs> I, it, it's arguable because there there is an out that he just has a brain tumor. And he's yeah. just going insane. <laughs> uh, we're we're kind of living inside his head for a lot of this. Mm-hmm. So like, can we get away with it? And one of the guys, like, I, I like one of his partners, like, I don't think it's tacky enough. <laughs> <laughs> and Max, too, is like, eh, it's too soft. <laughs> uh, I, I do like that he's there. There's a lot of real movie posters all over the place. But the one that's behind him for this scene, I think, is maybe invented for it. It's one of the only ones I don't recognize because it just says something. i love the something poster but i i like that it's looming over him as he's saying yeah i think it's too soft we need something tough (laughs) like ew (laughs) (laughs) so we go to downtown toronto which i like that it's actually located like the movie is based in toronto it's not playing new york (laughs) (laughs) yeah or um Oh, what was it? The wrong guy where it's so Toronto, but it's supposed to be Cleveland. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's clearly Southern Ontario. (laughs) He goes to his experimental satellite laboratory, which is so fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. He's got that buddy there who not really his friend, but we'll find out. Harlan, uh, played by Peter Dvorsky. Yeah, I, I love him in this. He's so cool. I'm a big fan of him in this. We've seen him in other stuff. He was in the Dead Zone. Oh, okay. Uh, he, I think, was the dude whose sister committed suicide, oh. and was like interrogating Johnny at an interview. And you know, he grabs his hand and like, I know why your sister killed herself. Like, I, I, right. Yeah. He, he's that, that guy. guy who one of uh, Stilson's. I want to say Stilson's. Uh, thugs 
Right, right. Oh, yeah, that's the one. That we don't find out why she did that. Yeah, that yeah. was like the whole thing with that one. He just he he's gone. He drops out. It, yeah. it destroys him. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so yeah, Harlan. I really like this character. He's got kind of a charm to him. Uh, although you can see he's kind of sinister right from the start. Like oh, if you're yeah. watching for it, he's well, especially because very shortly when they're watching Videodrome. He says he's found it. No, it's mm-hmm. been very elusive. It, it tried to uh, get away from me. Uh, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> it, it's the, these weird break-in broadcasts, these pirate radio things. And he says he could only pull 53 seconds. So keep your eyes open. <laughs> and he says it might be from Malaysia. Hmm. <laughs> This sort of feels like all this, uh, the the video rights era, just the the video boom, the early VHS boom, which I think a lot of this is about, and the video nasties, sort of uh, criticizing that in real time. Because just the the idea that uh, the the weirdness of rights and that, you know, these things could be from anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Whereas nowadays, everything's got a digital signature on it. It can't be separated from... It's a whole different era. Yeah, it's harder. Like, there's a lot of stuff that the rights are just unknown. Like, there's stuff that isn't released now because people don't know who owns it then. (laughs) So the signal is this woman being tortured in this sort of wet room like a tarp on the floor and clay walls that harlan says yeah they seem to be electrified but he's not watching it he's looking very intently at his screwdriver yeah that i didn't pick that up when i watched this the first time he's not watching the movie yeah very intently looking at the screwdriver because he knows that if he watches the movie he'll be infected mm-hmm. uh but so the video drum setup, you get your two guards all in black in hoods, you know, unidentifiable. Just they pull someone in and they torture them. That's the whole thing. Looks like it could have come from like a basement in the Middle East, honestly. Like one of those yeah. kind of videos. Yeah. yeah. Like Al Qaeda or whatever. Completely. It really has uh, it has a modern resonance to the sort of thing that is released by a terrorist organization. But mm that as a thing that he's pulling off a satellite and being like, Oh man, I want to buy it and distribute it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Buy it from who? (laughs) I need this for city TV, which I think this is kind of directly a parody of was city TV was the sort of the late night, uh, the, the Skinamax of Toronto. Oh, okay. You know, I also like him. He's like, yeah, I want it. Get it for me. Find it again. Uh, and also take down all these signs advertising this place as video boutique. This is supposed to be a secret lab. <laughs> uh, this is supposed to be a clandestine or- operation. <laughs> so later on, he's smoking uh, and he's on this TV panel. Uh, some local talk show panel. Oh. <laughs> right it's him oh, i'm trying to think of what this reminds me of but it kind of reminds me of like the panel that uh that they're in for top not detective oh yeah yeah what what it makes me think of is just 
I mean, the, there was this was such a common thing uh, in the eighties. Like, it makes me think of Murphy Brown, but uh, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> also, I just forgot about Murphy Brown. Also, just any time there was like a parody of a panel show on The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, this I, feels like a parody of a yeah, panel show. It does feel like you could throw to Kent Brockman here. Uh, <laughs> so it's the Rena King show, and he's there with Nikki Brand. He's being introduced to Nikki Brand, played by Debbie Harry, lead singer of Blondie. Oh, shit. No way. Yeah. Uh, cool. She didn't do a whole lot of acting, but she was sort of was you know pretty big. This is the early 80s. This was the, yeah, where the band yeah. was really taken off. It's oh, that's cool, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's just a cool, cool movie pick to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but fits with her image. She was really doing a lot of kind of crazy BDSM imagery stuff i think she had her first solo album around then which has a crazy fucking album cover i'll i'll have to look that up afterwards (laughs) uh so the the other guest is media prophet professor brian oblivion what a fucking cool character (laughs) i I love it his name is brian and like like it's the irish o with the apostrophe and then oblivion oblivion (laughs) (laughs) I, I love this guy. He's another dude who's who I know from a bunch of other Canadian stuff. Like uh, he he's in this great wilderness movie, sort of a wilderness slasher movie called Rituals. He's one of the main guys in that. Okay. Uh, he's in Doctor Strange Love. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah. I... <laughs> Way back there. Anyway. Cool. So Rena asks Max if he thinks that his shows contribute to a social climate of violence and sexual malaise. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, it's, it's the exact same argument that we continue to have to this day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do Does movies and video games cause violence? Yeah, it, it's exactly the same argument. There's uh, no variation in it over time. Nope. <laughs> I uh, just have the argument again. Right. And every few years. And his argument, and I, I mean, later on, I think it's, uh, yeah, Bianca Oblivion, she'll say, yeah, you said a bunch of road shit that uh, everybody says back and forth, uh, like everybody does. So it was pretty lame. Because uh, <laughs> his response is like, oh, well, I'm providing an outlet for people's maladjusted fantasies. This is a socially positive act. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, hey, you're not doing anything noble. You're just cashing in. It's fine. <laughs> so, like, Nikki as a character doesn't really have any reality because ultimately we'll learn that she's already dead before this happens. Before, wait, so she's before this happens? Yeah. Because he's, oh, he's hallucinating her, maybe? No, she was, she's like a construct. She's like a tulpa. She is like sent there as sort of a way to get him infected. Okay. Yeah, like, I don't know what her reality is. That sort of thing. Her reality is very questionable. Uh, He interacts with her here on television. Uh, Yeah. like, because they will much later say that uh, uh, that she, like I, Bianca Oblivion, tells him that uh, uh, she was already dead, that uh, she was killed by Videodrome before you even met her. Yeah, um, 
that's just <laughs> that's that's the part I'm having trouble with because yeah. then how does this show happen? <laughs> right. Well, I I think that's sort of the thing is that all of this is part of bringing him into Videodrome and uh, using Videodrome as sort of a social weapon, which is kind of the point uh, mm. ultimately. But uh, the idea of it that. <laughs> Like this is a television show, so she can exist on a television show as like uh, a, a person on a panel, yeah. just like uh, Doctor Brian Oblivion can live reacting to stuff, even though he also <laughs> has been killed by Videodrome. Well, that's that's a little different because he's not actually appearing on the panel. <laughs> a TV screen with his face is appearing on the panel. Sure, but like he's more abstracted. He's someone who's leaned into his abstraction, and that's how he's always appeared on television. I mean, we'll also see Nikki at her job later, which I mean, it's weird that that's possible. But... <laughs> good point. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she's like, she's concerned that they they live in an overstimulated society, and he pulls out the very road and like, well, then why'd you wear that dress? Oh my god, I wanted to punch him right there. It's like, dude. <laughs> oh, want to slap the slime off that snake skin. Uh, he he just like, yeah, he's like, no, oh, it's red. I'm feeling stimulated. And he basically just asks her out and she's into it because she's Emmanuel. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're having like this whole like flirting thing off on the side of this panel now. Yeah, and I love that it cuts to uh brian oblivion in the tv screen he just kind of like is fascinated by them and he's just <laughs> sitting down on a shoulder watching them flirt yeah he, he's like looking at them which <laughs> like like his head is tilted towards them yeah and i it's interesting like the the question would be how are these put together like how is this live edited it, would this be a thing that bianca oblivion is putting together in real time or i mean i feel that there is a an elasticity to all tv reality in this movie all video reality so that he kind of has this library of performance that exists as a mind oh like like yeah we like a cloud see... this is the cloud <laughs> yeah i i had mistakenly thought at first that brian oblivion was the first uh vtuber but no he's the first person to ever upload his ai to a computer but as vhs tapes yeah he's a or upload his brain to an ai rather he, he is a vhs tape cloud intelligence it's <laughs> incredible i mean again yep. in terms of just the weird prophecy of this film Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so he has his thing that the tv or the yeah the the television has become the television screen has become the retina of the mind's eye and i like that you get rena yes <laughs> she's like a dot 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 yes I'm like sure uh th those are words uh but he has his whole thing like I, I imagine a future where everyone will have a screen name, which is designed to be eye-catching. Yeah, which happened. It happened. <laughs> it, this, this is a thing, you know? Uh, anyone it's... who's on a website with <laughs> names you can <Yeah>. choose. <laughs> to appease the cathode tubes, which... Right. 
That's basically what we're doing. Uh, yeah, we've we've moved from cathode to uh, mostly LED, I guess. Pretty much. Yeah, I don't know. but it's the same sort of thing. Same basic thing. So they go back to video boutique, uh, or Max goes back to his video boutique, his secret satellite lab, and watches the next video drone transmission. And I, I like that he starts to criticize it. It's like, what's the plot? <laughs> Who's this black guy? <laughs> Is he a political prisoner? <laughs> How do they get these actors to do this for so long without breaking character? Yeah. And I like that Harlan has all of the answers. It's like, well, there is no plot. It's just this. It's like, just what? I'm like this. <laughs> for an hour, they torture him. It's like a real sicko for perverts only. And it's like, it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I love that at no point does it occur to Max that this could be a snuff film or that these could be real people doing this. Right. He'll come to it a little bit later on it's like well why do it real it's just so much cheaper and easier to do it fake but (laughs) But he has to be told he doesn't figure it out no he doesn't even believe it the first time he's told (laughs) no (laughs) but (laughs) killing people on tv for real why you can't reuse the actors after that yeah that's expensive you're just gonna get in trouble someone's gonna (laughs) close the whole thing down that doesn't how is that possible uh, but this is also where they find, oh, yeah, no, actually, it's being broadcast out of Pittsburgh. Right, because he had to descramble the signal, but they scrambled his descrambler, so he yeah. scrambled that, which is all bullshit. He's just making up a bunch of shit. Uh, it, <laughs> uh, I, I laughed at first because it sounded like bullshit, and then it turned out to be bullshit. It's complete bullshit. He's just pretending to be Jordy LaForge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So Max goes to pick up Nikki Brand at her talk radio office, which is a cool location. She has just a big circular window in her uh, DJ dome or whatever. Yeah, her radio recording booth or whatever it is. And she's talking to some lady crying about how much she hates her sister. Uh, It's the Emotional Rescue Show on c-r-a-m in toronto (laughs) cram cram (laughs) so they go back to his place and she's like hey you got any porno (laughs) like oh what's this she finds the video drone tape he's like it's not yeah it ain't exactly sex (laughs) i love that line it's not exactly sex (laughs) and she puts on like says who because she's into this, but she was mm-hmm. literally made for this. This scene, I do think, is basically completely lifted out of Emmanuel in America. I think this is oh. her uh, Emmanuel, especially flat affect, because she's, I don't know if she's on acid yet in this scene, but it's when she's seducing the senator and playing like she's really interested in being heard and watching snuff films because she wants to kind of see if he can get her onto it right so she can investigate it Uh and just i mean if you watch the performance and you've seen a bunch of emmanuel films you see debbie harry doing laura jemser oh 100 (laughs) right here she is yeah this sequence completely So she's, I should audition to be on Videodrome. I should audition. <laughs> uh, she's like, I want you to cut me. Take your Swiss Army knife and just cut me. And he's like, mm, looks like somebody's already been doing that. And like, I'm not really <laughs> into that. Like, how do you get to be a contestant on this show? <laughs> he's like, 
I don't know. Nobody seems to come back the next week. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes. Still definitely a fake show. <laughs> right. Sometimes, like, I'm not really into the violent stuff. Or he he kind of doesn't think he is, but there's mm. this weird sex bit where he legitimately pierces her ears during sex. Yeah. It's very weird. Yeah. He... It, he does seem to be uncomfortable but he's still doing it it's what she wants yep and then at some point we zoom out to find that they're actually in videodrome they're on a rubber mat in videodrome which i would argue is reality oh hey like he because she's a construct of videodrome yeah makes more sense for her to be there than in so his apartment. he's been somehow brought there. Is well, what this is what, sort of what I was establishing earlier in terms of the transitional properties of video as a uh, as a conduit, as both a conduit of reality and location. Uh, that he's like, oh yeah, I mean, it's from Malaysia. No, it's from Pittsburgh. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's just from wherever it uh, it exists out of the ether as a video transmission from another evil realm. Oh, okay. Oh, well, I guess, yeah, it is. We're, we are dealing with evil realms and stuff. <laughs> There's some real evil realms. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, Masha is waiting to see him uh, with uh, the next day at work. She's got her new show, Apollo and Dionysus. She looks quite a bit like Fellini's Satyricon, actually. But like a cheap TV version. Hmm, okay. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure. She looked like somebody, but I couldn't place it. Uh, I think I know her from stuff. Uh, Lynn Gorman. Totally know the name. Let, let me just uh, see if I can find it. But <laughs> I just was like, does it ever get good? It's like, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, it's too naive. Listen, you heard about this thing, Videodrome? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I, I've got her IMDb up. She's in stuff. She's a Canadian actress. Uh, not really much else that I've seen. She's in the t- She was on the TV series Salty, which was a, a TV series about, I think, about a lovable seal. Oh, wow. okay <laughs> <laughs> sure <laughs> uh yeah she's on like anne of avonlea you know canadian oh, tv stuff those, right? yeah. yeah all right probably <laughs> from that kind of thing anyway uh she's asking about videodrome and he's like i think it's what's next <laughs> mm-hmm. interesting <laughs> so he offers her an agent's commission uh just track it down for me and he's like mm, i could i could maybe do that uh but like why don't i just be your agent and you can produce your own show locally <laughs> what kind of show would you do max would it be videotrome <laughs> So he, he finds out that Mickey has to go away for two weeks on assignment, which uh, doesn't make any sense because she's a talk radio personality. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> but it makes sense because she's Emmanuel. She's got to yeah. go on. Yeah. But uh, she, she's on assignment in Pittsburgh. Right. 
<laughs> and she does tell him, I'm going to audition. I was made for that show, which literally she kind of like this version of her <laughs> was made for the show because she only exists as part of the show. Mm-hmm. And she's she is a function of the show now. And he's like, you should stay away from it. Those Mondo video weirdo guys, they play rough. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and he says, in Brazil, underground video is a subversive act. They kill people for it. In Pittsburgh, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on in Pittsburgh. It's all the way over there. Uh, but she shows her resolve. She like takes a cigarette and she puts it out on her breast. And so later he meets up with Mar- Masha. Masha. Uh, at some Middle Eastern restaurant. And she's like, look, Videodrome is not for public consumption, okay? (laughs) This is not something you want to buy. It's not something you should be broadcasting. It's like, it's real, okay? It's snuff TV. They're actually killing people. And he's like, I don't believe it. (laughs) Come (laughs) on. Why would you do that? (laughs) That's so expensive. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's cheaper and easier to do it fake. And it's it's a very good line one of my favorite in the movie she's like it's it has something you don't have max it has a philosophy that's what uh, makes it dangerous say what you will about the tenets of uh videodrome but at least it's an ethos like i i think she's speaking specifically videodrome itself videodrome isn't like it, it no longer is a it it, it like obviously it is being pushed by as we'll made it later meet very convex but i think it is its own entity it, like, it kind of feels like it at this point because it, it doesn't feel like convex is in control of it really no i feel like videodrone is like they're they're talking about videodrome itself having a philosophy and that's what i think it does like i think mm. it is it, it has it is a cloud reality in the same way that uh brian oblivion is but yep, that's I who she tells that. him to contact. It's like, mm-hmm. you need to go talk to Brian Oblivion. He can pass you down the line, which means she's part of the Videodrome resistance, right? Because she, right. she's sending him to Brian and Bianca Oblivion, who will eventually turn him against Videodrome with its power. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe just maybe. get him to kill himself. Or maybe both. A bit of both. Yeah, because uh, he might have just shot himself at the end. <laughs> <laughs> open, uh, open ending. So <laughs> we go to the cathode ray mission, which is such a fucking crazy place, right? This is insane. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> such a wild idea. Uh, it looks quite a bit like a computer library, honestly, like a, a computer lab at a like a university. Kinda, yeah, but like dirty and grimy kind of like a homeless shelter would be also well because it, it sort of is a homeless shelter but specifically just for the watching of television you get all of these homeless people in and they come and watch tvs that's that's the point of the place she she has a whole philosophy about this of course <laughs> cathode ray treatment cathode ray treatment so he goes to talk to bianca oblivion and she's saying that watching tv will help to patch them back into the world's mixing board which uh, this is the internet this is internet access yeah i mean that's that's true <laughs> like 
just the how this looks like a computer lab how much like a computer oh, lab at a library it. that yeah <laughs> the, and how the essential nature of internet access has like how essential it has become yeah you know now that i think about it it absolutely reminds me of like an internet cafe that i've been to yeah but you know well, that's the thing that really blows my mind about this is that it's all about video and television, but what it completely tracks to is internet. Yeah, it's almost like uh, he's doing a one-to-one comparison with the internet, but it didn't exist yet. Doing that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's accidentally predicted it all. Very prescient. Uh, I mean, that's that's the nature of great cyberpunk. Yeah. <laughs> So she's like, look, if the professor is interested, he'll send you a tape uh, on the subject. <laughs> a monologue <laughs> is his preferred form of discourse. <laughs> uh, uh, can I just talk to him? <laughs> Turns out, no, you, you no. can't just talk to him. Which it sort of feels like this was already the status quo that he, you know, even before he was a cloud intelligence, he oh, still kind absolutely. of just preferred to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's just, I, I do believe that that is always how he dealt with people. Uh, the comments are turned off on his blog, you know. <laughs> so he's like, all right, I want to know about Videodrome. Uh, that's what I'm looking for. And Later, he's watching the the latest video drone that uh, Harlan's pulled off the satellite for him, taking some notes, <laughs> just like me at that time. I'm like, hey, just like, yeah. <laughs> and he he takes out his gun, uh, but there's someone at the door, uh, which is Bridie with his new wake up tape, uh, which I guess she just delivers by hand, and then he. Puts it in to automatically wake him up in the morning, I guess is his thing. It's Man, weird. I, that is weird. <laughs> so, so much effort. Just they phone. Have alarm clocks. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> Telephones, they still exist. <laughs> but she's like, look, Nikki Brand isn't on assignment. She's actually on vacation, which does make a bit more sense because why would she be on assignment? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but she's like moving some tapes around and she's, you know, in the same place where uh, the the Videodrome tapes are. And he kind of freaks out and says, don't touch that and slaps her twice. And she turns into <laughs> Nikki Brandt in one of the one of the slaps. Right. Uh, but it didn't actually happen. Yeah. He's like, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry I slapped you. And she's like, you didn't. You, you didn't hit me. Like, no, of course not. I mean, that I, you know, kind of was, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just, just ignore me. So one of the tapes is from Brian Oblivion and he pulls it out and it breathes. <laughs> yeah, that, that startled me at first when it happened. Like he drops it on the floor and I'm just like, ah. Yeah, I, I think all of the stuff with the tapes is really cool. And I love that they get grosser and grosser. Like that last oh, one yeah. that Harlan hands to him is really Ugh. yucky. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if my VCR is going to play that. <laughs> well, his VCR will play it. Oh, well, for sure. <laughs> so he, he puts in the Brian Oblivion tape and saying, the battle for the human mind will be fought in the video arena. 
the Videodrome. <laughs> ah. And his idea is that television has become part of the brain, sort of this external element to people's reality. Mm, uh, yeah, the, there's, there's merit to that. And it's essentially his thing that he said earlier in the thing to uh, Rena, where she was like, yes <laughs> uh that <laughs> it, it the screen itself is now the retina of the mind's eye that now that we have this thing to kind of shout back at us our mind's eyes have been opened by that that it, it's sort of a there's a spiritual connection to it hmm. i guess that's his uh, that's his concept yeah he's very heavily based on marshall McLuhan, who's a you know, classic Canadian philosopher. He's the guy who came up with the phrase, the medium is the message. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. So Marshall McLuhan, a main inspiration for this character. All right. Uh, But his thing is, television emerges as raw experience for those who watch, which I think is very true. I I think this is maybe part of actual Marshall McLuhan uh, theory the the way that people experience television is as if it is an element of their reality oh totally um and not just news (laughs) no no i mean the way people would like oh god just just one example but i'm not even necessarily the best one but when i was younger people would get like all up in arms over whether seinfeld was better than friends (laughs) sure well (laughs) i i think on a more fundamental level is people sort of incorporate tv experiences into their own pasts as they kind of grow up watching television like we're looking at this already from the 80s where television has been around for a generation so people are like this is around the time when reagan not not quite there like we're a few years off but like reagan in his later years would have speeches where he referenced things in tv shows as parts of his childhood because they just sort of come grown together in his mind yeah okay and that's totally a thing you know and and i I think that's a part of it it oh man (laughs) he's saying how television is reality and reality is less than television because it's so much less vivid it's so much less condensed Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and with television you have a director who's telling the camera where to point so you know what to look at and you know what you're paying attention to whereas in reality you just got to figure it out right and a lot of people are very bad at that like uh, people oh, yeah. have, people have poor <laughs> active uh what's the word uh active awareness <laughs> bad active awareness <laughs> of their surroundings but yeah, it's true. <laughs> certainly Max does. This is where Brian Oblivion tells him that his reality is now half video hallucination. <laughs> so <laughs> you're only getting about half of what's actually going on in your life. A lot of this is all fake. Like what's happening right now? Uh, this is uh, interpretable. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes over what happened to him. He had a brain tumor. And this is, I think, a really key bit of dialogue because it is, it suggests that what happens is all hallucination that's created by the tumor. Right. Because he says, I believed the visions caused the tumors and not the reverse. Mm-hmm. So he's saying that I thought that the visions were causing the tumors and creating them, but it was the other way around. It was just a tumor that was killing me. Right, right. 
So is that potentially also what's happening to Max or has he transformed it? Because arguably he's transformed it. He's leaned into it. He's become a video man. <laughs> <laughs> he leans into it. Yeah, he's only on the screen now. So uh, Oblivion, he gets chained up. The video drum guards just come in around the wall and they, they chain him up. And he says that, when they removed the tumor, it was called Videodrome. <laughs> <laughs> so he's Videodrome's father. It is his brain tumor uh, become its own reality. Mm-hmm. Become like this video conduit because it is a brain tumor pulled out of a man who exists as a cloud intelligence. So what if the last <laughs> video cassette tape is the brain tumor? I mean, it could be a piece of brain tumor. Like, I, I would have to imagine that a lot of it is sort of, like, it, it's created from it. They're dubbed off of his brain tumor is what we're doing. <laughs> we're kind of like using his brain tumor to become its own reality, to uh, become this weird, because he has his his clean, precise, cataloged mind of videotapes in the room that we'll see a little bit later. Uh, these are like the ones that they had to pull out, you know, (laughs) like the the gross (laughs) stuff that's dangerous. I mean, obviously this one that was given to him here is also one of the dangerous ones. Uh So he's saying, I was the first victim of Videotrome. And then they, they garrot him. So Max like, Max is like, who's behind it? What do they want? (laughs) <laughs> and good question <laughs> and then the the torturer on the show removes the mask and it's nikki she's like i want you max and this is that crazy part where the television seduces him yes <laughs> um it, it reminds me a little bit of um of that scene in killing spree where like yeah. she just turns into a giant mouth and starts eating his head <laughs> sucking his TV. head yeah but yeah the the television it's pulsing it's breathing it's got veins on top it's kind of <laughs> gross uh and i the set balloons out like both lips and breasts because like you know woods buries his face in them right <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, and you know, whatever happens, I, I think he has sex with the television. And yeah, yeah, he he sticks his head in her uh mouth at, <laughs> at least. He gets a television transmitted disease, <laughs> and next day he goes back to the cathode ray mission, and he, you know gives the tape back to Bianca and is like, "Be careful, it bites." He's like, <laughs> "Yeah, I kind of know. That's we sent this to you on purpose," <laughs> and. He finally puts it together and like, man, I've been having weird hallucinations ever since the first time I saw Videodrome. He's like, yeah, uh, the tone of the hallucination is determined by the tape symmetry, but you know, you're still just hallucinating what's actually there. Uh, oh. It's it's the Videodrome signal that does the damage, but right, it can be delivered under any footage. So that's the key. All of these tapes that we're seeing, they're interpreted by him. You know, they're his hallucinations of what is on the tape. I mean, to an extent... making up the... To an extent, Videodrome exists, right? Like, the the torture room that is sort of the basic primal core thing, because Harlan also knows the basics of it. But the course each of them takes 
the way Videodrome keeps coming back into everything is based on his own reality. So the the torture thing was real, but him being seduced by Nikki was his hallucination. Yeah. Kind of inspired by... I mean, I think it's a bit of both because he's creating reality through this. He, he has sort of become this weird hybrid thing where he's living in both realities, but he can affect them. Like he can change his body, <laughs> as we will see. <laughs> so she says it, it induces a brain tumor and the brain tumor is what's causing the hallucinations. But the hallucinations clearly have some form in reality. Like, yeah. Nikki Brand was in reality as a hallucination, as a as an agent of the Videotron signal, right? Mm-hmm. So she finally shows him, here's my father, which is his cloud memory, all these tapes. He's like, yeah, he died 11 months ago on an operating table. It even looks like a server room. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I, I really, it, it is kind of amazing. Yeah, like he predicted the internet without, knowing that he did it <laughs> yeah just sort of as an idea that had to coalesce as just a weird cultural concept the way uh the the obvious end point of the the video revolution and just connecting through video uh you know the the thing that needed to exist uh so she gives him four more tapes for some more information and maybe to infect him further uh with her side of it mm-hmm and he goes to see Harlan again. And he's like, you haven't had any hallucinations, huh? I'm like, huh, and you like, should be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, mm, yeah, yeah. And then later on, he's nope, nope, <laughs> like, hmm, not me. I don't know. It's crazy. It's so, weird. <laughs> then later on, he's sitting on the couch. He's got his gun holster on and he's just scratching its belly. And just... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> just every time we cut to it, it's like this cut that just it's, opens more and more oh, it's it's a very it's a good gross Cronenberg body horror bit yeah <laughs> it, it turns into a vagina on his chest right so uh, oblivion is is theorizing that the signal of videotron can focus the hallucination to the point that it can change human reality uh in the sense that perception is reality with video so if he lives in half a video reality, he can alter perception to, or alter reality to perception. Okay. And this is when the vagina opens in his chest. Just <laughs> <laughs> opens up and it is very much a vagina. And he just opens it up and he you know, just itches and he's like, oh, let's see where the gun can go in there. And he puts the gun deep in there. <laughs> Which, again, just... I, I, some of the imagery of this is obviously... <laughs> extremely blunt uh <laughs> and the, just the the very raw concept of sex and violence of him uh <laughs> him watching tv and opening up a vagina in him his chest with his mind and shoving a gun into it <laughs> yeah getting getting himself off by masturbating with a gun basically <laughs> yeah but then he leaves it in there it just kind of gets <laughs> he, he forgets about it and pulls his hand out and it's not there anymore yeah, he's looking around for it. <laughs> it's like, dude, like, you huh? left that in your vagina hole. Yeah. So he gets a call. Uh, there's a car waiting for him from Barry Convex. Uh, so Barry Convex, we've seen him in a bunch of stuff too. 
I think he's in Deranged. He's in Black Christmas. Okay. He's in A Christmas Story. Uh, he's oh nice. He I think he's the tree guy, the the tree salesman guy in oh, okay Black Christmas or in A Christmas Story, and then in Black Christmas he would be the dude who connects the call in the lab. You know the oh, guy who does guy. all the That's complicated the... connecting. Yeah, yeah the the call tracing scene. And oh, he cool. he's in the Dead Zone too. Yeah, he's in so much stuff. Oh wow, <laughs> uh, and he's. He's Tom Sims, the uh, guy who does all the introductions, uh, the the documentarian in Deranged. Oh, okay. So this is a dude we've seen in tons of stuff now. Yeah, yeah, he's been all over the place. Very convex. Uh, the, the car takes him to his business, Spectacular Optical, keeping an eye on the world. And, you know, they also do lenses for NATO satellites, but, you know, that's just something they do off on the side. Right. So in in the car, he's got his little introductory video to uh, Barry Convex, chief of special programs. Uh, So, yeah, we make inexpensive glasses for the third world, all the way to missile guidance systems for NATO and Videodrome. (laughs) So they go to the spectacular optical storefront and I, I like Max just kind of idly trying on some random glasses. <laughs> I, yeah. I also was re- too much of your head in that one. Yeah. I, I really like Convex's. He's clearly really into glasses. I mean, that's his name. He's his name. Convex. <laughs> his name's <right>? Yeah. <laughs> but just that he has a lot of like salesman terminology for glasses. Cause he puts on these, they're very elaborate, but very kind of over, overly much uh, secretary style seventies glasses. And it's like, I think so that machinery, machinery you're wearing is too much for the shape of your face. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got something for him to try on—a VR helmet. The helmet is so gross. <laughs> it's gross, but it's also kind of fucking cool. Oh, it's super cool, but <laughs> I, I don't think I'd wear it. <laughs> Well, no, it's fucked up. It'll record your hallucination. <laughs> so this thing can I'm record sure that's dreams. All it's doing. That's messed up. Yes, it is. <laughs> but uh, Convex is like, you know, you're going to want us to take a look at this and see what we can do because none of our test subjects have returned to normality. So you're you're on a trajectory here, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, okay, but violent thoughts bring on the hallucination. You don't have to actually hurt anyone. You just need to think about violence and it'll happen. Right. And Barry leaves. He's like, I just can't cope with the freaky stuff. (laughs) I like that he's just this button-down executive guy, but, you know, they they have this bioweapon or this video bioweapon. And I love that they, that like this company with this bioweapon just operates off of like this sunglass hut almost <laughs> yeah, it is very much a sunglass hut type thing i mean that's his main business <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I actually believe that for this guy the videodrome and the nato satellites are his side thing yeah it's just the other stuff he does as a brilliant executive so of course he envisions nikki uh they're in this all red room which is obviously in videodrome she hands him a whip and suddenly she's on a tv in videodrome <laughs> yeah and she she's like tied up in the tv and yeah he's whipping the television he's whipping the television set like a big old box tv big wooden case one 
which is it's it's comical but it's also just very weird at this point <laughs> yeah is this the one where the tv kind of starts throbbing like it likes it yeah well because it's yeah. nikki on it and she's sort of enjoying being whipped on it and then the tv wants it and it's very weird he wakes up at home <laughs> <laughs> but masha is dead next to him in bed yeah Ooh. <laughs> wonder if maybe he accidentally whipped her or who knows well he calls up harlan he's like harlan i need you to come over here right now and he has him bring a camera and everything and like i need you to photograph what's in my bed and he goes in like there's nothing there man i don't know what you want you want me to photograph your sheets for you <laughs> <laughs> which is weird uh like i don't know what to make of that like we never do see masha again yeah, did did he move? Did Harlan move the body? Was the body never there to begin with? I mean, I assume it wasn't there. Did but Masha not even die? I think Masha may have been taken by Videodrome by this point. You know, probably kind of seems like yeah. it. I think she's shown in Videodrome later. Maybe I'm not sure. Oh, okay, but he's like, okay, Harlan, meet me at the lab in an hour with the latest Videodrome transmission. And he's like, okay, sure. And then they they meet up, and it's like, well, uh, where is it? Like, uh, there was no tape this morning. Uh, in fact, th there was never a tape. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm gonna pass this over to my real boss, and Barry Convex steps in. It's been a real long con. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, Harlan started working for him two years ago, apparently. Yeah, it's been two full years, and like two wonderful years, Patron. <laughs> so they say look it works on anybody who watches it but why would anyone watch it max <laughs> so this is the thing this is we're kind of touching on aids crisis here too this is a kind weaponized of, yeah. thing that they are you trying to use against the populace it's like well only scum watch your channel so we want to put this on your channel to kill all the scum basically that's yeah. essentially the plan uh <laughs> yeah harlan says north america's getting soft the rest of the world's getting tough real tough and it's the it, it is sort of the same uh it, it is this thing of we need purity we need to purify yeah. our country and like we have we cultural decay yeah yeah this cesspool you call a tv station can broadcast an exterminating signal which is videotron <laughs> and barry's like i have a hunch it's going to be very popular for a while <laughs> for a while yep and so he's like okay you're ready for something new and he pulls out another gross tape it's pulsing and it really wants to get inside him and he opens up <laughs> and i i it is rape adjacent convex shoving it into max's chest vagina video slot <laughs> i've got something i want to play for you <laughs> <laughs> so he it, it's a program he tells him to go kill his partners and sign over channel 83 to him uh and max pulls the gun out of just this wet crevice in his stomach <laughs> it's like dripping it's, it's so covered gross. in slime and just tendrils grow out of it into his wrist and it becomes a part of him uh, this is gross <laughs> it's super gross it's just interesting how he's become a bioweapon 
and it's weird because we'll see him from other people's perspective and he doesn't have a gross gun hand he just is carrying a gun yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how much of that is real and how much of it is not i don't know i don't know because he, he has to have put the gun somewhere yeah i mean he, he i mean he could have just had it in his pocket i guess Maybe. Uh, so he goes to the office and his partners rafe and moses they're in a meeting and he's like, oh, hey, you're just in time to shed some light on this. And he guns them down. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, my God, this is they're freaking out because it's completely out of nowhere. It's very shocking. He shoots both of them. And yeah, notably, we see it with them being shot with a normal handgun uh, with his hand mm-hmm. normal. And then he pretends to be wounded and Bridie kind of hustles him to safety and he escapes out a window. Yeah. Heads back to the cathode ray mission. So. Because he's got another mission to kill Bianca Oblivion. She's the next target. He's like he's like a tape programmed assassin. <laughs> <laughs> they they put in a bunch of cassettes, and that's how he works as an assassin. Early Terminator. <laughs> so he busts in, but she knows that he's programmed to kill her. She's anticipated all this, even though he doesn't know it. He's sort of unaware that he's there to kill her. She's like, you're here to kill me. It's like, am I? (laughs) (laughs) And he pulls out the hand dick monster gun, you know, because one of his hands, it it very much turns into a penis. The end of the gun is a penis. It totally turns into a dick. Yeah. Yeah, This is a Cronenberg movie. You're going to (laughs) have some uh, genital things in places where genitals aren't supposed to be. (laughs) (laughs) but she opens up a screen or she opens up a curtain and it's a video playing nikki's death on videodrome this is where we finally get the thing like she was already dead before you met her and yeah and then a a dick gun comes out of the (laughs) static in the screen and it shoots him (laughs) Uh, it's got veins it's got veins and like it shoots sort of a pulse that is not unlike a jizz and just like hits him and she's like okay okay we can take out the tape now your your programming is broken we're gonna reprogram you change the program and she has him repeat the phrase i am the video word made flesh (laughs) death to videodrome long live the new flesh all right (laughs) yeah kind of (laughs) reps So it goes pretty hard. Yeah. So later, Max watches Harlan go into spectacular optical. So he follows him in there. And Harlan has a really gross tape for him. (laughs) (laughs) This is the nastiest one. It's pulsing. It's red. It looks very sickly. It looks like a cancer. He's like, all right, open up for me. (laughs) And the the vagina thing and chest opens and it fucking eats the tape and Harlan's hand with it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. His hand comes out like it's like it's like, disgusting. <laughs> yeah. I can't even really describe it, but it's like gross. The, all of the flesh is flayed off the wrist for like yeah. a, a decent portion. There's like several inches of flesh that is just bone around the wrist, but then the fist you know, where he had it closed around the tape is just mulched into like a brick of flesh and gore. And it's so disgusting. <laughs> Intense. Yeah. Uh, and then he 
just sort of uses this force push to just explode him through a wall. <laughs> and he escapes through the hole in the wall. See you in Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> I also like that outside you see uh, a mother kind of steering her kid away. And the kid's like, I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Thematic. Uh, so Max heads to an optical trade show where obviously Barry Convex is showing the new fall line. The Medici line. <laughs> And the important phrase that he states when he's doing this thing, the eye is the window of the soul. This is sort of key to the whole thing. The eye is the window of the soul. The uh, television screen is the retina of the mind's eye, the third eye. Kind of the act of viewing things and experiencing things visually uh, as something that has some sort of toll on your soul is definitely what I think uh, convex would think. Mm-hmm. So Max assassinates him on stage, guns him down just like he's uh, he, he's uh, Donald Pleasance and he's going to turn into a pig. <laughs> it's uh, quite a bit like that. I kind of think maybe like the uh, American rickshaw sequence was based on this because he he shoots him with the monster hand this time. Yeah, like it's very much the monster hand that we see shooting him, and Barry Convex just turns into this fucking writhing pile of gore it's really gross <laughs> yeah he kind of like like sort of like melts into goose or not not goo uh gore <laughs> gore yeah <laughs> it's so much gore it's just meat pulsing and it's pink and oh and i i love that he was on microphone when this started and he falls over with the microphone and as uh max is sneaking out you hear it broadcast over all of the speakers, him still gurgling. (laughs) 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 Fucking incredible. (laughs) I love it. So Max sneaks out and he gets on this condemned derelict boat in the harbor. The end of this movie always comes really fast, I feel. Yeah, (laughs) it kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh, Notably, the boat that he gets on in the harbor is all red. Red as a color has had an association with Videodrome. Obviously, Nikki's dress was red. He pointed out as being red and stimulating to him sexually. Uh, the room is kind of a reddy orangey. Yeah. So he goes inside and he sits on a really gross mattress. It looks like the one from the Trooper. <laughs> I was thinking of the Trooper. <laughs> and Trooper will get you. Trooper's going to get you. There's a TV there. Uh, I don't know what it could be connected to. It's on. It's in a harbor. Uh, but <laughs> doesn't have to be anymore. Doesn't matter. And Nikki's on the TV, obviously. Mm-hmm. And she's like, "I found that death is not the end. Uh, you need to go on to the next phase." So he he needs to shed his physical body, and this is a part that I'm like not sure about. Like, I it could be because obviously she's like, "Okay, do what the TV shows you," and she shows the TV, like shows him on the television shooting himself and then mm-hmm. he does what tv does he learned it from watching tv <laughs> and, <laughs> and then yeah uh he shoots himself and well first it. he shoots himself on the tv and just the tv right. explodes with guts and, oh, gore yeah, and all right. these fucking fountains <laughs> out at him it's incredible it's just like just this huge shotgun blast of meat in his direction it's so gross <laughs> 
uh the the kind of dead look in his eyes in the video version when he shoots himself and says long live the new flesh is haunting to me it's uh, maybe the best performance of uh james woods's entire career the look on his Probably. eyes before he shoots himself is very grim and frightening wow. uh, but yeah he he watches the tv do it so he does it <laughs> I mean, again there are some very blunt imagery blunt ideas in this is the <laughs> copycat of television thing uh, but yeah, he shoots himself. Well, he says, long live the new flesh and shoots himself. And then it's credits. So it's open-ended. Does he become part of the video world? Does he kind of go into... Yeah, does he transcend or yeah, like or does, did he just shoot himself? Like it, It's a question of what Bianca Oblivion ultimately wanted. Does she want him mm. to continue as this video messiah or is she just using him to take out the people who are trying to put Videodrome into the public sphere and then get rid of himself because he's gross? <laughs> could be both. Yeah, it's, I don't know. it could be both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I really like this movie. Fucking great movie crazy crazy disgusting movie at times uh yeah kind of a masterpiece i i do think it's my favorite cronenberg uh and there's you know tough competition there there's a lot of cronenbergs that i love uh Uh, but no well yeah this is definitely my favorite of the like four or five that i've seen right so regrettably we do not have a ultra an ultra q episode this week because the second disc in the set was broken there's a crack in it that was not visible from the top side it's because of these terrible fucking steel book cases oh Uh, so the case is awful (laughs) i'm always always worried that i'm gonna snap the disc in half trying to pull it out of this thing such a bummer so uh i got a replacement copy coming and we'll get back to those when that arrives uh but uh, in the meantime, do you have any last thoughts on Videodrome before we start on part two? Long live the new flesh. Kablam! And we're back for part two, where we've got three additional gory horror films. Not a lot of gore in the first one, but there's, there's a bit. There's some. There's some. There's some. Uh, actually not as much as I would have thought in the second one either, but the third one kind of makes up for it. Third one is an all gore extravaganza. It's one of the goriest things I've ever seen, but it's (laughs) cute. It's kind of funny. It's more of a comedy than anything. Yeah, no, I, I found it funny. Um, it's, it's a strangely funny movie. mm -hmm. First up we have hell high from 1989 so really late in the slasher uh run i think it has a few different release dates i I want to say i've seen earlier dates than 89 for it Hmm. i'm not sure about that but i know it was apparently released under the title real trouble at some point also raging fury uh so Hmm. yeah letterboxd gives 1987 Whereas Wikipedia gives 1989. So maybe it's one of these movies that it was shot and maybe like more or less completed, but then didn't get a proper full release for a couple of years. Might be something uh, like that. Could be. Could be. That tends to happen a lot, it looks, it seems like. 
Well, and also these sort of movies, these exploitation movies, they get released and re-released. They, mm. they don't mm. get released and then they get released. <laughs> or they get re-released under a different name with a bunch of go-go dancing. Well, sure. You, mm. you kind of just got to add new stuff to capitalize on the current craze. Mm. Uh, but this one, yeah, it's late in the slasher cycle, so not super gory. You know, they they had really toned it back for the most part in American slashers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although it's funny, it's only a couple of years later that they would start dialing it up quite a bit more because they finally were like, I don't know why we're censoring this stuff. <laughs> you can just watch it, like especially for a home video market and you'd get all the unrated cuts for home video. And then the theater's like, we're losing money here. We got to show this stuff. <laughs> whole push and pull cycle it's all about mm-hmm. the money uh, but hell high oh. directed by douglas grossman uh somewhere in the late 80s i guess <laughs> somewhere in there <laughs> yeah. pretty good slasher movie yeah yeah um it takes takes quite a while for the slashing to begin there's a lot of setup but the setup is pretty essential because the slashing doesn't work without it yeah, you got to establish quite a few characters in this one. And also, like, there's some interesting fake-outs. And... <laughs> so the opening sequence, the girl <laughs> going to play with the dolls in the shack. It's Everything about the opening sequence is wonderful. IMO, you know? <laughs> I feel like uh, this was an opening sequence that uh, Perkle, Estes Perkle wanted to put in his movie. Yeah, uh, you, you you definitely get a great biking accident or motorbike accident. So this little girl, uh, Brooke, Brooke Storm. Brooke Storm. Good name. A rad name. She's uh, going to be a biology teacher. Yeah, which, uh, hmm, mm. <laughs> Professor Storm, I don't know, Mrs. Storm. Yeah, that seems yeah. weird. Uh, <laughs> she should have taught weather, meteorology. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I just think like if, if it was Mrs. Storm in the late 80s, a lot of these kids are just going to be thinking about the X-Men. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, her as a kid, she, she's playing with her dolls in this weird shack. She's found someone's <laughs> sex shack. As, as I said, as you said when watching it, it is not unlike the sex roof in What Doesn't Float. Yeah, although I think the sex havers found her shack rather than her finding their shack. I'm not sure, cause like it's, it's it, it, it she's they've been co-using it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, cause there there's dolls there, but there's also sex stuff. Yeah, the, it is their gross shack for like there's a mat for them. Not unlo- again, we've got a trooper mat in a gross <laughs> shack by a swamp, <laughs> and <Yep. laughs> it's just. She's this weird little girl who has found this place and like, oh, it's a dollhouse because it's this little sex shack that they've built. And so it's kind of tiny. And she goes in there and plays with her dolls. And she's left one of the dolls behind when this biker and his girl come up. (laughs) (laughs) So the biker brings her into the shack. Uh, tries Brings to, like, the girlfriend, her... excuse me. The girlfriend, yeah. sorry, yes. <laughs> Just his, his girl, clarify. not the little girl. Yeah, yeah. Who's yeah. watching through a crack and is very fascinated and terrified. Yeah, yeah. It's like immediately gets her into this dirty ass shack and is like, okay, take off your shirt. And she's like, 
I this... don't want to do this. Yeah, she's like, this place is gross. I really changed my mind. I thought it, it, it is exactly like the sex proof. She's like, <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be as gross as it is. Let's not. And he <laughs> does kind of assault her. But yeah. And the little girl's watching. And also the guy pulls off one of the doll's heads. Yeah, he re- he does that for no reason. I think it's just like, what the hell are dolls doing in my sex shack? It's like if he showed up to his sex roof and there were like dolls there, that would be terrifying, honestly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it would oh, be dolls. What's going on here? <laughs> Especially like the the like partly broken and dirty ones. I mean, that would that alone should be setting off alarms and unnamed girlfriend right because yeah why are (laughs) why are there broken children's dolls in your sex shack weirdo uh but anyway i broke them i don't know how they get here (laughs) yeah (laughs) anyway the root the mood is ruined and they hear a noise (laughs) and so finally they she she will not have sex with him because it's a terrifying gross swamp shack with dolls (laughs) so so he's p- super pissed off. Uh, they're riding home, and the little girl decides to throw some swamp mud at them. Yeah, just a cute little prank. Uh, she she yep. gets a bucket of muck. She throws it at them as they're going by, and they fucking wipe out. And there's an, a perfect, in- <laughs> oh. perfectly placed uh, fence post, like old wrought iron fence posts. <laughs> they're yeah, just like, thrown just- on them crooked and sharp and rusty the what the woman doesn't die right away yeah it's <laughs> it's pretty brutal like a very ghastly impaling and you see the little girl <laughs> reacting to him like oh shit her mouth is like wide open <laughs> very funny reaction the everything about the opening sequence a plus uh, a really it, great it really way to start is. a movie <laughs> So it cuts to 18 years later where now she's a biology teacher. I, we have to assume that nobody ever knew what happened here. Um, it, the impression I get is that there's a legend about two kids who died in the swamp somehow. I mean, it, it is but just yeah, an 80s knows. thing where obviously people do know that these deaths happened here. It's just among kids, it happened yeah. when they were, it, it happened two years before any of these kids were born. Yeah, yeah. They're all like high school seniors. They're 16 to 18, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they're, yeah, they're, they're all high school teens. I don't know if they're all yeah. seniors, but they're, no, but... you know, in senior high. Uh, so this is something that happened either like just around the time they were born or a year or two before. So it is just urban legend to them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, Brooke Storm is not good at handling a class of high schoolers i imagine her entire life just sucks it's a it was a weird career choice for her (laughs) yeah (laughs) she she cannot reach these people they will not listen to her i can't reach these kids what will it take to reach (laughs) you do i need to turn my chair backwards and sit on it And she's got her PTSD that she hasn't worked through because obviously it's a deep, dark secret. And also in like the 70s and 80s, you don't work through your PTSD. That's true. And it's also like she has a class full of 80s movie turbo bullies. They're all assholes, especially Dickens. Dickens. This dude is like (laughs) a professional bully. (laughs) It's his whole deal. Yeah, like he's not even... 
normally you have the quarterback of the high school football team who doubles as the bully, but no, they're two separate characters. <laughs> yeah. This guy just focuses on bullying <laughs> to the exclusion of all else. So this guy, uh, played by Christopher Stryker, he actually died before this movie came out. He died in 1987. Oh. Uh, of AIDS. Oh, Jesus. That's, yeah. That sucks. That is that is rough. He's fucking great in this. <laughs> oh, man. He's terrifying. <laughs> he is one of the all-timer bully kids. It's fun because he's not the slasher, but he is kind of unambiguously the villain. Mm-hmm. Which is weird because I mean, our our slasher will you know uh, spoilers ish, but Brooke will become a slasher. It's sort of a spoiler because she seems to die in the middle and is forgotten for a bit. Yeah, yeah, and it seems like Dickens is going to be the slasher, or it could be the coach. Yeah, there, there's lots Maybe. of there, there's a there's a fair handful of red herrings, not as many as we get in Cat in the Brain. Yeah, yeah, but there's there's a couple. Yeah, and. Yeah, he he's just this fucking shitty. Oh, the face that he makes when he's bullying. He does this thing with his lips that I, ooh, I just want to punch this kid. He he's sucks. so good. He sucks. He, he is just the biggest <laughs> asshole, uh, and he hates her for some reason. I it's oh, it's unclear. <laughs> it's unclear, but it is not. It's definitely more than just I hate her because she's a mean teacher. There's there's it's something personal. personal going on. Yeah, I had expected that he would be related to one of the people who died. Right, but they only know it's sort of as an urban legend. Yeah, my read on it is that he has a crush on her. <laughs> oh. Uh, that's definitely, <laughs> definitely. And that is. And he does not know how to handle it. It is manifesting in a very ugly sort of way because obviously it is impossible. She is his biology teacher and she hates him. She, he, she, she doesn't know how to handle teenagers at all. She killed teenagers one time. <laughs> <laughs> and now they're back for revenge. They're back. Just Something a poor choice kind of, of what career. At first, yeah, yeah. So they're doing the whole thing where he's, you know, just being a little shithead. He throws, he gathers up all the test papers and then just throws them around and leaves. And he's saying, "I'm gonna get you one of these days." She doesn't know how far I'm gonna take this, and he's saying this like throughout the whole movie. Yeah, and it's weird because nobody seems to realize it even though they're all kind of working with him and they're backing him up and like okay let's do this thing like wait wait you're going too far and like you didn't know how far i was going to take this i was like yeah but you need to chill out dude (laughs) (laughs) yeah like um (laughs) but i i like that it has for a solid like half hour ish it's sort of just a teen movie Mm -hmm. uh yeah we we have we have the teen pranks. Yeah. Well, it's sexy pranks. There is obviously yeah. the problematic, but sort of addressed as problematic within the movie is this is a bad thing where Dickens and is it John John? John John is the, the main guy. John John. Who's in stuff? Uh, this guy I know from things. He's Ted. He apparently in. Ted from oh, Breaking he's Bad. Ted from Breaking Bad. Okay, I, I knew he was in there, but I didn't know who he was. Ted okay. Banneke. Yeah, that's <laughs> that is Ted Banneke. Oh, Ted. Uh, and yeah, he, he's a dude who's in stuff. I think he's the only one who's really in a bunch of things. 
Uh, I do believe that is the case, yes. <laughs> but yeah, the two of them go to spy on the teacher in her shower at home, which is yeah. messed up. <laughs> yeah, they follow her home. Um, but it's also got... a standard Animal House Revenge of the Nerds Porky's thing to do in a teen movie. <laughs> yeah, so she showers without a shower curtain. And so masturbates. Watch her through the... Yep. And... And Dickens is like super into it, and John John's like, dude, this is weird and creepy. Yeah, I like that John John is aware, like, this is not something we should be watching. This is kind of messed up. And Dickens is like, but I'm so into it. <laughs> I don't think you understand. Like, I I don't. <laughs> and now he's coming up with like another plan to get the teacher. Yeah, I've got a plan. And he will never let anyone in on the scope of the plan. It's very vague. It's like, we'll get some masks and we're gonna show up at her house and we're we're gonna scare her. Like, scare her how? Don't worry about it, man. It's gonna work. <laughs> What's gonna work? <laughs> so John John uh just had had the head cheerleader break up with him because he quit the football team so now she's dating the quarterback whose name is quarterback comma the <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is his whole deal he is mr <laughs> quarterback uh you can't arrest me i'm the quarterback yeah no i i'm i'm important uh i i'm a big big wheel in this town i once scored four touchdowns in a single game <laughs> So that's that's how John John ended up with these losers. Uh, the yeah. bully just kind of picked him off as he fell out of the football kid uh, click. I mean, it's the same thing that happens in Dazed and Confused. That's that group. The one of them is oh, the kid yeah. who quit the football team, and they're they're driving around all day, and that's how they end up on the football field at the end. I really like the fat kid in the group. Yeah, he's fun. Uh, Smiler, he's fun. He's the prankster guy. Mm-hmm. The the one who does harmless, actual harmless pranks. Right. He's not even an annoying Shelly type prankster. He's just like, eh, I've I've got fun ideas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh so the I guess the first prank that they do that is driving onto the football field and stealing <laughs> the football. <laughs> they won the game. <laughs> Bullies <laughs> won football team zero. they took the only football it's great that they just like they they drive in in the middle of a play and catch the ball going past (laughs) and then they just go they're gone one of the The football players tries to chase them (laughs) (laughs) the coach if he was wearing a hat he would be like throwing it down on the ground and stomping on it to look on his face (laughs) the coach character mr coach (laughs) (laughs) he does have a name but who cares he wants to have sex with the teacher but he's not going to no and he doesn't understand why he thinks that she doesn't want him because they lost the game yeah i i don't really get how she how he thinks she cares at all uh he doesn't get her i mean nobody seems to get her she's very uh (laughs) hard to get to yeah, and like when he's asking her out on a date, she's basically like, no, no, no. Okay, fine, I'll go if you shut up. And he's like, yeah, she wants me. I mean, it is one one of the failings of the movie, and I think mostly this is a really good slasher movie, like upper tier, but mm-hmm. I do want a bit more of Brooks 
psychology, what she's like, what's her deal. Cause Oh yeah. What I, does she do when she's not yeah, bullied? I don't get really any idea of who she is in her downtime. And that's something I'm curious about prior to the additional trauma and the change to slasher in the final act. Yeah. Yeah. We needed some time to show what her day-to-day life looked like. I mean, it's, it, it, there's room for it. This is a tight 80-some minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, we, we could have put in another 10 minutes of that. I, and like we have lots of time to meet uh, these guys, so I feel like we could have had some balance in there. But you know, it, it is a tight under 90, which I do appreciate. Mm-hmm, for sure. I can't complain. <laughs> so Dickens is still going off about his big plan, but he needs everybody to come into the swamp. And... and and Smiler's like, I don't like the swamp. Yeah, which is totally fair. He has grown up with the legends. Like, ah, uh, didn't some teens die there? Which is true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, I for some reason, that's why they want the mud from the swamp. I don't really, because they don't know that Brooke had anything to do with that. So I don't, I'm not sure why Yeah. particularly, I, I... but... <laughs> I kept thinking that the reveal was going to be that Dickens did find out about Brooks somehow, but he doesn't doesn't until the very, very end. It's weird. It's just like, (laughs) it's a kid plan, you know? Yeah. He's putting a bunch of, and the the swamp is scary, so we'll get mud from the swamp. And then I'm going to sleep with the teacher. (laughs) (laughs) After, after, um... We'll all break in and scare her, but I'll be there and I'll be like, be still, my love. (laughs) (laughs) After I take off my mask that I used to scare her with and wearing the exact same clothes, she's not going to know who it is. (laughs) Is a huge fat guy dressed up like the huge fat guy in her class. Who could it be? Yeah, uh, not a well thought out plan, but it is a very kid logic plan where he's just putting a bunch of things together that are kind of triggering. So... They get a bunch of mud and they go to her house and they start throwing mud at it <laughs> in Halloween <laughs> yeah, masks. Climb, yeah, in Halloween masks. They climb up onto the roof and she is freaking the fuck out because she thinks that the ghosts of the teenagers are coming to get their revenge on her. Yeah, because uh, it's the swamp mud. It's it's actually yeah. meaningful to her. Yeah, which is <laughs> which is why I think I kept thinking that Dickens did this all on purpose, but he didn't. No, he he has no idea. His, as as we very soon learn, when they break into the house, uh, he tries to have sex with her unconscious. Well, wait, no. First, she freaks out, and they run off. And Mink, Mink, the I, I'm not sure. The other teach, the other female teacher. I think I think her name's Mink. She shows up and's like, "What's up with you? You need to take a sleeping pill." Yeah, here, I'm going to fill you up with so many drugs, you are going to sleep so good, you won't even wake up if you're getting raped. She gives her a lewd, you know, from uh, fucking, uh, oh, you haven't seen uh, Wolf of Wall Street. You haven't no, seen I the... haven't. I keep meaning to. <laughs> uh, there is a classic Quaalude sequence where <laughs> Leo uh, drives a Lamborghini on Quaaludes, and it's very funny. 
but yes, she he she gives her a quaalude, which was a sort of a recreational sleeping pill uh, oh. of a sort. Like it was one that was used recreationally. So very powerful and had very uh, psychedelic effects. Is the thing if you fight, oh, so- stay awake through the initial sleep wave, you get really messed up messed up enough to maybe go on a killing spree perhaps i mean usually that isn't the way it would take but she's she's having a whole ptsd spiral and then they come back (laughs) so yeah Yeah. it's it's a bit of that i think yeah okay okay i didn't know that i thought it was just like a powerful sleeping pill i didn't know about the psychedelic properties yeah yeah so (laughs) so yeah the teacher's like okay well i'll check on you in the morning and that's uh, and after she leaves, that's when Dickens goes in and tries to rape her. Right, and then all of the others come in like, "Whoa, dude! I don't think that's cool." He's like, "Well, why?" First, the girl comes in and yeah. is like, "Well, here, let me show you how to rape her properly." I don't right. think it's cool that you're doing it. That was weird, Queenie. Yeah, uh, she's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! That's not cool." Let me try. <laughs> I was like, hey, hey, okay, chill out. And then She's John like, John and like it? Yeah, John John and Smiler show up. I'm like, hey, hey, no. <laughs> this is a little too much. Guys. So yeah. Please. So John John and Dick in this fight. Right. They they get in a brawl. And then Brooke wakes up and fucking freaks out. <laughs> Bolts through the freaking window and onto the Onto the front yard, like Michael Myers style. I think it's the backyard because nobody notices her for a while. You're right. It is the backyard. Uh, But yeah, she goes out straight face first into the yard and everybody thinks she's dead. And it's kind of to the audience. It does kind of seem like she's dead because they don't come back to her for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they have Smiler go and check and he's like, oh, yeah, she's dead. But (laughs) he's Smiler. He's freaking out. He doesn't know. Yeah, he doesn't know. I love that, like, later on, he narrates his mental breakdown in real time. Right. And so they decide to frame quarterback the, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah. Just get something of his and bring it to the house to prove that prove that he was at the house and that he killed her. Meanwhile, we're all just going to hang out at the house and get our fingerprints all over everything. Yeah, we're just going to chill here. Again, very bad kid logic-y plans. They're not really thinking any of this through. But it works for the characters because they are all idiots. They are <laughs> all young teens and they don't know what they're doing. And, you know, they're the bad kids at school. They really are the worst. Yeah, and, and one thing you knew, the bad kids weren't smart generally Usually. i mean some of them were but some of them were <laughs> there's, they, there's yeah. a reason the people who were really acting out in class it's usually weren't the people who are getting good grades yeah uh yeah. <laughs> and not the grades are necessarily a measure of intelligence but either no. way <laughs> uh these guys are dumb dumbs <laughs> in particular <laughs> uh especially dickens who's just he's he's in his own head so John John goes and he does uh, he does take the quarterback's jacket. They're all having lunch at or dinner at the diner after the big game that they lost slash they lost to the punks. On the record. <laughs> they lost to the punks. <laughs> now the rest of the football season is canceled because they have the football. Yeah, it's like that uh, Simpsons gag. Uh, and he also slashes his tires. Yeah, so uh, quarterback's tires. So quarterback and nameless football guy have to chase him on a motorbike. Yeah. Which, uh, uh, but then they crash. 
they crash and explode yeah kaboom uh man motorcycle crashes this is like a an anti-motorcycle ad (laughs) man that motorcycle just tapped the parked car before it blew up (laughs) so yeah he's doing all that and trying to dodge the quarterback and the other football guy well everyone else is just chilling out at the house queenie gets mad at everybody else and goes outside yeah, she notices that Brooke's not there in the yard anymore, and hears her calling for help in the bushes. And so Queenie... <laughs> and Brooke fucking kills her. Uh, just yeah, bashes her with a rock. It's just... it's brutal. Yeah, I, yeah. I, and I kind of we feel see bad. The rock hit the face when she's on the ground. I I feel bad for Queenie because she's the most sympathetic of the whole bunch, other than that weird thing where she was yeah. kind of into. Uh, the sexual assault where I don't even because at least yeah, it was her that. <laughs> I, I, it kind of felt like just a deflection like hey get off of her don't do that uh, here yeah. I'll I'll do something that'll be that'll turn you on chill out <laughs> but she goes to try to help Brooke at this yeah. point and she's like oh my god I'm so glad you're not dead and then Brooke fucking murders her <laughs> yeah just oh yeah and that 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 is a brutal rock bashing. It's it's quite gruesome. It, yeah. Yeah. Goes hard. Uh, Smiler's on the ground. He's like, this isn't a very good time for me. <laughs> I don't think I can live like this. <laughs> good line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Dickens is like, oh, you can't live like this, huh? <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go upstairs to the bathroom, man. I'm freaking out. And he goes upstairs somehow Brooke is up there and stabs him in the temple with a pencil. Right, now doesn't she also beat up John John outside? Um, John John finds the body, but I don't... Oh, that might be later. I, th- uh, uh, I don't know. I, I, at least on the Wikipedia thing, it has... Oh, yes. Uh, John uh, John she... beating, uh, getting beat up outside before she goes in and gets smiling. Yeah. John John finds Queenie's body, uh, but she gets punched, or he gets punched by Brooke and falls down a hill. Right. Then uh, gets up later on. Yeah, he'll be back again because we he he was not conclusively killed the way Queenie was. Yeah. And yeah. Smiler just now gets yeah he gets a pencil in the <laughs> fucking head. Yeah, as he like slowly walks down the steps and dies. And then Dickens is like, "Holy shit!" And Brooke <laughs> comes at him with a knife. Somehow, at this point, Dickens figures out that Brooke is the one who killed the two teenagers all those years ago. So he decides now that he's going to be a hero. Yeah. And he, like, lunges at her. But she's got, like, this fireplace poker. So he impales himself on that, (laughs) but manages to get the knife, like, into her neck. Right. And then John John comes in and Dickens is, like, tied up. Oh yeah, sorry. the The tie up thing happens first. Uh, right. She she ties him up. She's like marked him for this dissection with all like the dotted lines and everything. Right, because we we started at the beginning with a frog uh, dissection laboratory, and nobody was paying attention. So now she's going to do the frog dissection on his body. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Miss Storm. They didn't even try to teach us this at school. Yeah, uh, but John John jumps in and tries to uh, uh, attack her. And uh, get Dickens free. And that's when she grabs the poker and he lunges at her and they both kill each other. Yeah. So 
So we have John John spending the next the whole rest of the weekend, and I thought it was going to be a lot longer than that, but it apparently it's just the weekend. Staring, sitting in his room, staring at uh, like static TV. Right, and he did plant the jersey. So yes, he did. Uh, the the quarterback gets fucking arrested for this. <laughs> yeah, the quarterback gets arrested. The cops come in. The substitute teacher's like, I don't know why Miss Storm isn't here, but I'm. Now you have to deal with me, the hard-ass substitute. Yeah, always one of those. Yeah. And you're going to fall in line, you'll see. Like, yeah, you, yeah, <laughs> sure, lady. Yeah, yeah. No other substitute has ever done it, but you'll be the one. You're going to do it. You're, you're going to change. You're going to fucking turn us all around like Nicole Kidman. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking Michelle Pfeiffer. Or Michelle Pfeiffer, you're right. That, that's that's what I was at, Dangerous Minds. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the, then the police show up and they fucking arrest the quarterback. I'm like, oh, you shit. can't arrest me. I'm the quarterback. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. And he's like looking out the window, watching the quarterback getting hauled away. And the teacher just like starts screaming. And I'm like, John, John. And he looks at her and sees Miss Storr's face and starts screaming. And that's and how it ends. That's, that's, <laughs> that's it. it. <laughs> it's fun. It's a really good one. Yeah, very solid slash. At the beginning, if you don't know what you're watching, it doesn't necessarily feel like it's gonna turn into a slasher. No, I mean, or it it might turn into like some other kind of thing. It is a very slasher inciting incident at the start, though. True, true, very much so. Um, yeah, no, I I liked it quite a bit. So next up, we've got Santet Two. <laughs> uh, from 1989 as well question mark uh second yeah. in the series also directed by Sisworo Gautama Putra more of a comedy than a horror movie but we still got some gore we get we have a couple of gore shots not many but there's a few uh we do get some magical transformations uh i do feel that this movie isn't as good as the first one I think that's totally fair. I would say that I enjoyed this one every bit as much, mainly because of everything with the tiger. Uh, <laughs> the tiger rules. All of the it's tiger so... stuff just completely does it for me. It's so funny. I love the stuffed tiger. I love her fake tiger butt. I love just <laughs> the tail. Yeah, the tail when it's wagging and it's clearly on a wire, and the <laughs> the part where it flies across the screen and uh, uh, her husband stops it with the power of God, power of Allah. Yeah, uh, the bit where like where we have uh stock footage of a t- of a tiger in the grass and then suddenly stuffed tiger pounces on the dude the stuffed tiger that is my absolute favorite bit is anytime someone just hucks that big it's like those really big <laughs> stuffed tigers that people have as almost like a pillow you know sort of yeah. body pillow sized and just that gets thrown at people from off screen and they wrestle with it and it's like it's clearly a stuffed animal but it's oh it's so good every time it's it's so it's kind of adorable uh but you know you know i was watching the first one when i was watching the first one we covered it all those weeks ago do you know what i was thinking that that movie needed more of bokir bokir i did not think that the movie needed more bokir, <laughs> but we got more bokir you got a lot more bokir 
Uh, I've got I've got like entire sections of my notes labeled labeled as the Bokir show. Okay, yeah, Bokir's the new main character, honestly, because Katemi she has the main plot element, but she's mostly doing that in the background of the Bokir show. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like um one of those variety shows where they just have a serious plot running in the background that's not going to come to the forefront until the very end, like um. Oh, what was that one where it well, not even that uh, British haunting one because that one actually hmm, I can't think of an example of one. I'm not sure what you mean. Uh Yeah, no, I'm doing a bad job. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh so we catch up with Katemi and she's trying it, you know it's direct from the last one. She's trying to live a pious life. Uh she's uh, devoted to her uh husband who was the son of the cleric uh the son of the son chief of, yeah they're they're not together yet but the writing's on the wall they're right. gonna hook up yeah i mean it was already planned from the last one they were they were getting together yeah. and he was her salvation but yeah everybody in town they're not willing to accept that she is cool that she's saved mm-hmm. and uh you know who else isn't willing to accept it uh nyla rang the <laughs> <laughs> the uh the teacher of whatever the witch's name was in the last one me Nye anchor Nye anchor uh so yeah, yeah Nye lang shows up and she's like hey i invest a lot of time into that lady and you are saying you're not even going to uh join the cause after this i'm cursing you <laughs> yeah it's like you think you can just like take black magic and Kill the people you want to kill and then not live the black magic life? That is not how it works. Tommy tried to get out, but they pulled it back in. So she gets turned into a tiger lady and she'll turn into a weird tiger occasionally. She has to eat people. Yep. <laughs> she tries to resist, but yeah, she she can't resist the power of the curse. I love her turning into a tiger. I love <laughs> the her with a tiger body is really funny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just the stuffed tiger <laughs> stuff all of it's great <laughs> i love like the cute kitty paws <laughs> <laughs> they're so fake uh, yeah I, I, all of it is good uh and the 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 parts where she's the tiger stalking in the background and you see like a very fake tiger but they put it in the deep background and just like yeah. there's a tail that is obviously on a wire <laughs> that's like being pulled back and forth and, yeah, it's like a perfectly solid tail. And it's like just behind a bush. It looks like a, a background in a children's story. Like you're going to have oh. <laughs> uh, some sort of jungle children's story passing through here. But, <laughs> but the, my favorite is just you see a guy pass through and be spooked by that. And he starts running. And then from the front of the screen, he gets hit by the thing. <laughs> the tiger would have had to teleport. <laughs> and he just gets hit by the stuffed animal and goes, ah! Uh, yeah, that, uh, that, that's probably my favorite tiger attack. So good. <laughs> anyway, enough about Katemi. We got Bokir to worry yeah, that's, about. I mean, that's basically it for her until the end. Like, it, it, we, we check in them. on it. <laughs> yeah, we, we mostly we just hear about how a tiger's killing people. Yeah, and we'll we'll occasionally see someone get hit with a stuffed animal, and we'll see a, stuff, a stuffed animal stalking someone in the forest, and then we'll go back to what Bokir is doing. Or, yeah. of course, what uh, B Bismond, Bismond Jr. Jr. 
I didn't catch his new name. <laughs> Brahma Bisman. Brahma Bisman. He's an identical child. <laughs> Same actor. He wears a different hat. It's Wario once again. Wario he, he Jr. He sometimes even wears the same outfit. Yeah. Well, like, once he's there, it's like, we know he's just our new form just, yeah. of uh, Bismon. <laughs> but he's got um, a marijuana business. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I love the poster for marijuana that he has. Did you notice, like, he has a pro-marijuana no, um, poster on the wall? No, I didn't oh, see it. I loved it. In his, uh, in his hideout. <laughs> Uh, so Bokir is trying to hook up with this woman named Rena at this concert, and uh, she's into it, but his wife, who is a completely different wife than the one he had in the last movie. A bit like, of a glow up. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, she's yes. the wife of the main character now. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so he got a recast. Uh, yeah, and he's uh, he's trying to get with these ladies at this big concert. Is it is this before or after you get the world news song? Uh, during. During. So yeah, the, the concert is the world news thing, which seems to be the start of a news show, but then it's just these ladies doing a song about world news. Yeah, not any specific world news, yeah. just the news in general. This, to me, felt extremely like um, Wakaliwood. All of this had a real Wakali oh. feel to me. Yeah, actually, now that I think about it. Hmm. Bokir feels like a Wakaliwood character. Yeah, totally. <laughs> he really grows uh, on you, too. He, he does. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he, he gets caught by the wife. And, you know, it's this whole thing. He gets gets yelled at she's screaming at him he's like oh no you don't understand it's innocent all that but you know funny does he and, do a song here as well because there's there are more songs in this one too there are more songs in this uh his song isn't until later later yeah where he's singing about seducing and or being seduced by katemi right yeah yeah so on their way home they find they find this goat body had been mutilated and the, and this guy's like, oh, hey, yeah, no, don't worry. That's not a person. That's a goat. There was just some tiger that killed it. Right. Uh, dangerous tigers afoot, though. So, you know, should yeah. get home. Yeah. So they all get home. They, they see actually they see the tiger and run away. <laughs> they see the stuffed tiger and the tail <laughs> wagging. Yeah. And they tell Pramuja and Pramuja's like, Katemi, are you transforming into a tiger and attacking people? And she's like, it's a curse. What can I do? It's like, yeah, what can I say? These things happen. Remember how I used black magic last time? Well, I'm paying for it. It's like, well, yeah. we should do something about this. <laughs> well, not... Pramuja's attitude this whole time is like, Katemi, don't turn into a tiger and eat people. <laughs> yeah, you should Come stop. On. You, you really should Allah. Just, just use don't the power of anyone else. Yeah, just the power of uh, prayer. Uh, it'll totally work. And I mean, last time it worked. Last time it worked, but he had to do it. He had to do Well, it, that's kind of what happens this time, too. Yeah. He yeah, has to she, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because she, her faith is super, super wavering right now. It's it's fun to turn into a tiger and eat people. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I'd probably do it, too, a little bit. Go to church <laughs> or turn into a tiger and eat people. I don't know. Mm -hmm. mm. Uh, but yeah, Katemi's trying to buy shit in the market and no one will sell anything to her because 
one, they remember all the shit that she did like two days ago with the with the crocodile lady, and also because she's now turning into a tiger and eating people. Yeah, and everyone's like pretty aware, like, if someone's turning into a tiger, it's probably you, because you just did this! <laughs> we were through and this then... so recently. <laughs> and as she's running out of the market, she bumps into a mysterious stranger. It's obviously Bismon, but, she, but he has glasses, so nobody can recognize him. <laughs> I like that she does not recognize him. Like, they run into yeah. each other and they just kind of look at each other. She just, like, walks away. And she doesn't recognize that he is the identical double of the guy that she killed, like, three days ago. I'm thinking, like, yeah, it's been a couple weeks, who, you know? Couple it would have been a couple weeks, probably. Maybe a month. Yeah, the guy who killed her husband. Yeah. Uh, did a, like a whole coup of the town and he uh, he is identical and it's not like the guy has a common face <laughs> he looks, looks like, like wario <laughs> <laughs> well the funny thing is like his own thug, like the bismuth thugs don't recognize this guy either until he takes off his glasses like i'm the son of bismuth it's like oh you do look a little familiar right they're all like oh you do kind of look like him <laughs> he's exactly the same <laughs> god damn it uh, but yeah I, I i thought that was pretty funny uh and yeah he has his nefarious marijuana business and also he wants to get revenge for the murder of his father Mm-hmm. And he's just going to pick up his business because he really had a good thing going. He had a mob. He's like, hey, you guys want to be part of my mob, right? They're like, oh, yeah. I mean, it's exactly the same thing. I'll even wear the same clothes. You can just call me Bismon. It's my name anyway. Yeah. You're basically getting your old job back. It's, it's, it's exactly the same. Like, oh, cool. Power vacuum filled. Let's just continue doing what we were doing. <laughs> So at the town hall meeting, they're discussing what to do about the tiger. And Bismon is like, I think we should uh, whip, it, whip up an angry mob and kill the tiger. And they're like, hmm, <laughs> you seem familiar, Mr. Snurub. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Nambiz. Uh, tell me more about your plan. You know, one of his guys stands up to back him up, obviously. Uh, it, it, yeah, it, it is a town hall meeting. And like, I think that... Uh, an angry mob will solve this problem. And like, you know, someone who reminded me of you was really into angry mobs not that long ago. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I am Guy and Pram- Incognito. <laughs> and Pramuja's like, hey guys, if Katemi's turning into a tiger and eating people, there must be a reason for it. Let's <laughs> give her the benefit of the doubt. It's all it's a law's plan. Uh <laughs> just you know, let things work themselves out. And they're like, she has a good point. Uh, this guy reminds us too much of that guy who was wrecking the town. I don't know if we want to listen to him, but maybe he can hunt or he could do his own shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pramuja goes over to Katemi's house where she throws her panties at him. <laughs> he just, he, I, I love, like, I, I got a screen cap of this. He's just holding the panties in his hand. And he's like, I am asking God for forgiveness. <laughs> Um, yeah, she throws herself onto him and he runs away. He's like, you, this isn't really who you are. What are you doing? Yeah, something weird is going on. Uh, it's it's not unlike the sorority uh, babes of the slimeball bowl around them. It's like, this seems like some kind of magical curse rather than you being into me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to soft pedal this and make sure. Mm-hmm. But 
right after he leaves, uh, the Bismond goons come and torch her house. Yeah, as they do. It's it's one of as their their trademarks. Yeah, uh, but she manages to escape and goes to Nylorang's lair, where she's like, you know, the people shun you, but if you do black magic like we've been trying to get you to do, uh, you don't need their love. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've seen how well black magic works. It really worked for you last time. Remember how you killed all your enemies and it was easy? You could do that again. It's yeah, like, you have some you good stopped. points. <laughs> the only reason you stopped is because you ran out of enemies, but now you got more. Yeah, you have new enemies. You can just come back and do this more. I mean, is is the god thing helping you that much right now? It's not helping you with this curse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Besides, tigers are great. Tigers are fun. <laughs> uh, enough about tigers. Time for Bokir. It's time for Bokir. Bokir's got <laughs> stuff going on. Uh, Bokir is dressed up like a tree stalking Rena. Oh man, he's gonna try to attack her in a tent at night and murder her. <laughs> it's <laughs> no, very troubling to me. Uh, not so not long after seeing Dog Day, I was like, oh my god, oh. he's dressed up like oh, a god, scarecrow yeah. in the in the cornfield. That's that's troubling. It's very similar, yeah. yeah. But he's like, hey, no, why don't you come to my place to or why don't I go to your place tonight? And she's like, well aren't you married? And he's like, don't worry about my wife. I'll take care of her. (laughs) That sounds nefarious. Yeah. So this whole thing is a sting though. Rita is working with the wife to sting Bokir and prove that he's uh, unfaithful. It is such a weird and shaggy sequence. And like they go back and there is this whole fake sex scene that they're doing where she's giving him food. Yeah. She's giving him some chicken to eat. Yeah. And like, I think the wife is hiding under the bed and misinterpreting what's going on. And it's like, this feels like a broadcast from a different movie. This it's it's Bollywood esque <laughs> in its way. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, actually, Bokir reminds me of the comic relief guy in that and uh, Virana, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but funnier. Funnier, yeah. <laughs> there, there is more of a charm to it. I, I do find Bokir to be honestly pretty funny, and the movie sort of lives or die, lives or dies on that. Like you have to yeah. enjoy Bokir. <laughs> I find Bokir to be fine in small doses, which yeah. is why I liked the other one better. Although, yeah. although his moments in this are generally better than his moments in the last one, where he has those gigantic shorts. Yeah, the gigantic shorts thing wasn't great. The song in the last one was really good, uh, but yeah, I, I find him generally to be pretty funny in this. He he does up his game. He does. He does. So he gets chased out of Rena's house by the wife, and I thought he's the one who gets the first tiger attack. This is the one where they like throw the dummy at him, <laughs> but it's just some guy. Yeah, it's just some dude, some random guy that we don't see because he dies. He he, the be, getting the stuffed animal thrown at you is actually a death sentence. It's just it does look very funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, back at Katemi's burnt-out house, we've got Premuja waiting there hoping that she survived and a tiger comes out of the woods. He says to the tiger, Hey, again, stop doing black magic and transforming into a tiger. And this is where she like lunges at him on wires. And he just explodes. The power of Allah. Yeah. He, he puts up a hand and she just vanishes in, in a blast of light. It's cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. 
we got another town hall meeting where this time uh, they're getting help from the state to capture the tiger, but the help only comes in the form of a uh, tranquilizer rifle that they're going to give to Bokir of all people because he's the he's, he's the head cop the now. Security guy, yeah, he's in charge. He's the guy in charge. The the other guy quit. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the other guy from the first one, he's not even in this movie. No, he's not back. <laughs> no, they got a different guy, and that guy is under Bokir. Yeah, well, because Bokir has seniority. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> police u- unions and all that. Yeah. <laughs> they get everybody together to hunt for the tiger and end up shooting a chicken instead. Right. It's a very shaggy, like all Bokir gags, it is quite shaggy. Yeah, yeah. We find out that Bismon is smuggling marijuana. Oh my god, marijuana! <laughs> yeah, he's hiding them in the guts. And th- this is yeah. a- around the time that he has a poster on the wall that's like uh, talking about how rad marijuana is. I, I love the poster. <laughs> Thumbs up. Yeah, uh, I-, I, have- I have to look for that because mm. I-, I didn't notice it last time. Mm. Uh, Bokir has a run in with a mute dwarf who. This scene is dumb i don't even remember it uh so this is a scene where he just decides that anyone who shapeshifts into a tiger must have like a split lip or whatever like a deformed lip Mm. i don't know why he decides this but there's a guy with a deformed lip who comes in so he tries to arrest the guy saying he's the tiger Mm. uh there's a don't dwarf. that's okay it's (laughs) it's dumb it's really stupid and it takes a long time because they end up going after a guy with a skin condition. Right. Just him going after a bunch of different people. Uh, yeah. Bokir filler. Bo- a Bokir filler. And then, then we get Bokir's big song that he does trying to seduce or get seduced by Katemi or whatever. Uh, He's barking up the wrong tree. At one point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he still hasn't resolved the thing with his wife. He doesn't need to. The the wife is not of interest. He, he's trying to get with everybody else. Yeah. He's Bokir. He's the star of this film. <laughs> oh, but after he, after his 10-minute musical number, yeah. I don't think it's really It's minutes, not that long, but, like, but it, it is a full song. He, he does have it, a, which I think is, again, like the ones, like the one at the beginning and the one in the previous movie. I think it's an existing song because it doesn't really have anything to do with the plot. Not really, no. But we do get a scene of Katemi possessing Pramuja's mom, and we get like a really gross gore effect of her face like changing, and she's barfing out all this green goo. It's, and then... it's the same as the poison in the last movie, the green and red vomit, which we, yeah. we do get. Uh, I, I, I forgot to mention, in Primitives, the earlier uh, Siswaro Gautama Putra uh, cannibal movie that I watched last week, uh, they do that when a guy eats a bunch of forest mushrooms and has a psychedelic trip, and he pukes oh, the green and red stuff exactly <laughs> like it. It's like, oh, it's it's a standby. It's for, a signature for him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What I like though is like this arm comes out of the bomb's uh, mouth, which he rips off, and it's got an eyeball in it. <laughs> it's, it's pretty, pretty cool. gross. Yeah, yeah. Good gross bit. Again, they they do a bit of gore. They don't it's it's sporadic it is much more of a comedy (laughs) the pitchfork and tiger mob is going after or the pitchfork and torch mob rather is going after the tiger who transforms into a woman and it's the exact same bit from the previous movie it's bokir's wife again and they capture her yeah um exactly the same only this time there's a lot more fanfare 
because there's a bunch more people. Yeah. Uh, now suddenly there's cops from uh, Jakarta who are <laughs> who are working with Bokir to catch Bismon on a sting. This has not been mentioned before. It's but they're here. This feels satirical to me and kind of hilarious that yeah, they had this whole mass murder problem. They had a. Uh, leader of a church burnt alive in front of a bunch of children they couldn't get any police like there's this guy <laughs> dealing marijuana like oh man let's get the whole fucking <laughs> jakarta police force down there yeah they, it's like this whole <laughs> sting operation it, it's this huge thing <laughs> yeah but katemi deciding she's going to be in the movie again <laughs> uh decides to go and kill all of bisman's goons yeah, she's uh, using the the tiger power to good ends. She's gonna stop the criminals. Uh, she stabs this one dude with two fish in the stomach, <laughs> <laughs> and then when she finally gets to Bismarck, she's got all this black magic. Last time she turned him into a werewolf. What does she do to him? Shoots him in the fucking head. Yeah, she just shoots with him with a gun. She's got a gun. It's very final, right? Yep. I mean, if he turns into a werewolf, she might have to battle him or something. It's much yeah. more final to just blow his head off. <laughs> and then we've got, of course, our final confrontation, which again plays out almost exactly yeah. like the final confrontation in the previous one. You just There's got a new Katemi. mentor standing in for the previous mentor. <laughs> Katemi, don't don't do black magic anymore. Allah will forgive you. She's like, again. I guess I could try it again. Do you think he'll still forgive me even though I went back? And I'm like, yeah, he'll keep on forgiving you. I'm like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so, like, we could do Santa 3 where I'll turn into an eagle and kill Abysman? I kind of oh. wish there were, like, a Santa 3 through 6, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I'd watch more of them. But, of course, the teacher, like last time, didn't like, doesn't like that Katemi's turning away from Black Magic and goes to fight Pramuja. Necessarily. Of course, uh, this one is just like a martial arts fight where they're punching back and forth while Bokir kind of narrates. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it almost feels like it was a, it almost feels satirical compared to like the, the scale of the previous fight. It is definitely jokier. Uh, uh-huh. And then, yeah, they, they defeat he her. Wins. Yeah, yeah, necessarily. Good prevails. Yeah. Could prevails. Uh, the new town chief is like, hey, okay, so why don't you guys hurry up and get married so that Katemi can't be seduced by evil powers again? And Pramuja's like, yeah, Does okay. it work like that? Yeah, sure, okay, whatever. Sure. <laughs> Who knows? Let's do it. Let's try it. You know, we're, we're sadly robbed of a Santet 3, but I, I would watch Santet 3. I, yeah, th- this is one that I feel like they should have put out, they should have churned out like three of them in a year. Yeah. At least conclude just, the trilogy. Yeah, just just keep bringing in Bismans. The final, the final boss can be like a die Bisman. Yeah, like a Bisman who, uh, you know, one of the witches fucked one of the Bismans. Right. But no, sadly, sadly, there's just the two. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed them. This is a pretty recent release from Vinegar Syndrome. This is, I think, one of their January releases. I recommend it. It's so much fun. I love both it of them. It really is a lot of fun. I, I find a lot of people are more down on the second one. I went into it expecting it to be kind of silly, and it's just so silly that it it really <laughs> did it for me, honestly. 
yeah, I liked them both. I did like the first one better, but the second one still good. Still recommend it. Fair. Uh, so we've got one additional film this week. It is Lucio Fulci's final theatrical film, Cat in the Brain, also known as Nightmare Concert. I have no idea why. <laughs> some of these titles for some of these movies, man. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> uh, but it is him sort of looking back on his career and his career kind of in different people and he's also got these doubles in the movie <laughs> yeah and, and then this movie kind of reminds me of like if bloodstream had the plot of sensor or videodrome there's a lot of sensor in there there's a lot of uh or sensor has a lot of cat in the brain i should say yeah um, yeah this this came out way before yeah and I, I wouldn't think that uh, Lucho had seen Bloodstream, but yeah, it's it's got that feel of Bloodstream where you're just constantly throwing gore at people. <laughs> it never yeah, stops. Like, <laughs> like a lot of this movie just feels like an excuse to do that, which I'm cool with. <laughs> yeah, but it does make it difficult to follow moment to moment because the reality is never clear. I found it a lot easier the second time through. Hmm. Um, it's sort of knowing where all the pieces are and knowing the psychiatrist is hypnotizing him. Uh, that's what's happening. Yeah. The psychiatrist is hypnotizing him and then dressing up to kind of, kind of look as much like him as he can. Which he can look a fair amount like him because he kind of looks like him. I do love that the psychiatrist looks like him and that the lead actor looks like him. Mm-hmm. To the point that I thought the lead actor was him, actually, at yeah. first. No, I, I have the same problem. The first time I was watching, I'm like, that doesn't that kind of looks like Fulci, but I don't think that's Fulci. And then the real Fulci's there as the director. I'm like, okay, we're doing copies of Fulci. <laughs> yeah, and like when this the first time the psychiatrist dressed up, I thought that yeah. was Fulci doing a murder too. Which is, I think, what we're supposed to think, or mm-hmm. what everybody's supposed to think. He's trying yeah. to blame the killings on him. Yeah, it's really interesting. But the first thing we get is the incredible <laughs> opening sequence with just a bunch of brains. <laughs> <laughs> like a bunch of brains. This, is, this isn't this is a brain. This is a bunch of brain matter. It is a landscape of brains. Just brains <laughs> as far as the camera can see. And these hilarious very <laughs> fake puppets these cat puppets just <laughs> it's the well, best he's, well he's like talking about all the the different deaths that happen in the films uh tortured burned alive scarred sawn in two chainsawed uh, eaten we- and I love that we also get all of them in this movie, too. Yes, we do. We get <laughs> everything he mentions happens in the movie, and a bunch of stuff he doesn't mention. The part where the kid gets his head chainsawed off was one of those. I was <laughs> pumping my fist in the air going, wow! <laughs> Yo! <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so... The first guy, the first bit of gore that we see is this dude eating a chunk of flesh. And I thought this was meant to be Fulci at first because right. I had, prior to this point, I had only seen the top of his head. And it does kind of look like him. Like it is it definitely a dude like that the, he's cast to be a dude who looks like him. And yeah. it's him making the movie Touch of Death, which is, I think, a real Fulci movie. Oh, 
Okay. I believe, let me just look this up. Uh, I think it might be a TV movie. Yeah. Uh, he had two TV or direct-to-video movies, uh, Sodoma's Ghost and Touch of Death. And those are the movies he's making in this movie. Oh, okay. That's that's cool. I like that. Because the, the 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 two movie names are given, Touch of Death and Ghosts of Sodom, but uh, that becomes Sodoma's Ghost. Oh, that's cool. Right on. So yeah, he's. Uh, I, I like the line uh, as the guy's eating his meat and he's watching the TV. The TV's like, I love you so much, I could eat you. And the guy's like, that's what I'm about to do. That's what I'm about to do. And we we see a corpse with the the exact square of flesh cut out of the thigh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that we zoom in on the corpse and then we smash cut to the stake. And I was like, oh, ha, we're meant to believe from the smash cut that the stake comes from the leg. Yeah. Oh, it does. It does. I mean, that, that is <laughs> the actual literal meaning. Uh, yes. And then Fulci has this thing where he goes to a restaurant and he's troubled by the memory of this sequence yeah yeah he he can't eat any of the meat that they're giving him and he's like no uh no because he keeps flashing back to this sequence and just loses his appetite he has to leave the restaurant which is fair i mean if i was working on something really excruciatingly gory it might affect my appetite but I don't know if I'd be making a ste- or ordering a steak right after filming it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but I, I do like the way that this plays out exactly like Censor, where it, it, it is as if all of the gore that he's watched over the years has so affected him, it's bleeding into his reality, much like <laughs> Videodrome. A lot like that. <laughs> I, I watched uh, I watched this before Videodrome, but... Mm. But now that I've seen Videodrome, there, there's a lot of that in here, too. Mm-hmm. Or some of that in here, anyway. Yeah, there's some of that. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, he, he can't do that. Uh, and <laughs> then <laughs> there's the bit with the eyes. Oh, yeah. Uh, he keeps he keeps filming like these eyes being poked out with a needle. And he's just got this bowl of eyes <laughs> on the table. And he's like, it doesn't look real yet. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And so, oh, these things are grossing me out. Get these out of here. And some gets dropped on the floor. And like, my eyes. <laughs> the technician. Yeah. Hey, my eyes. What are you doing? It better not have cracked. <laughs> <laughs> you might have broke some of my eyes. This is a bucket of cow eyes. Yeah. <laughs> or sheep eyes. Uh, I dissected maybe. one of those in the. Me school. too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's how I knew that those are not people eyes. <laughs> no. We've seen those before. Mm-hmm. I love the bit with the chainsaw guy outside his house when he's trying to sleep. Right, he's uh, he's imagining uh, the chainsaw guy killing everyone. <laughs> yeah, and he like goes out to confront the chainsaw guy, and he doesn't really confront him though. He just kind of looks at the chainsaw guy and then takes an axe and starts uh, chopping up these paint cans on his porch. Red paint. Red paint. Uh, yeah. Uh, to to sort of show him having a bit of a public freak out for which he'll go to the psychiatrist for and for which the psychiatrist can try to frame him yeah yeah so he goes to the psychiatrist egon schwartz (laughs) good name 
the psychiatrist, however, is having marital problems with his wife, and he needs to make that everybody's problem. <laughs> I, I, I love that. Yeah, he he is. I mean, it it is such a parody of the censor and the sort of person who wants to censor other people's viewing, and he is one of these guys who feels that uh violent cinema makes people violent and he he wants to shut down that kind of thing yeah he's like once i've done all the killings i will just blame it on tv and movies <laughs> well after all movies make people violent <laughs> and he does say and this is like straight out of videodrome that the what you're doing with these films and the violence in them is breaking down the barrier, the boundary between what you film and what's real. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the doctor has no intention of helping Fulci. No, he, he's going to hypnotize him and he's going to say, yeah, have a lot more of those visions and uh, stop knowing what's happening at all. And I'm going <laughs> to capitalize on it. Just sit back and enjoy the hallucinations. Yeah. Uh, try to record them if you can, because I'm going to do murders based on the stuff that you're imagining. Yeah, so you, on you. you can come back and tell me about it, and I'll, I'll just, you know, use that as inspiration for my own murder spree, which I've just been looking for an excuse for. Uh, it, it, but it, it is uh, very videodromy. <laughs> It really is, just without the technology. Yeah, I'm like, hey, you just go have those hallucinations. You know, half of your life's hallucinations now. Uh, and I'm just going to be doing some other stuff. And the, the doctor dressing up as Cornholio and going and stabbing people. <laughs> oh my god, he's... He is, right? I can't unsee it now. <laughs> I didn't see it before, but now it's all I'm going to see. <laughs> I got the great Cornholio. Fucholio. Yeah, he's, he is the great Cornholio uh, out on a murder spree in his tracksuit. Yep, he, uh, he, the doctor ends up killing a sex worker on the side of the road. Mm. Um, somehow, Fulci is always around to watch these murders happen. Yeah, I don't know uh, what it, like, I, I feel like the psychiatrist is stalking him and then kills someone in his vicinity or yeah. something. Because it, it's he's, supposed to be closely tied to him, and he wants him to be seeing it, and as such, want, yeah. still hallucinating about it and playing into that. Because he wants yeah. Fulci to ultimately believe he had been the, the culprit. Like yeah. he, he doesn't just want to convince the police, he wants to convince Fulci himself. Yeah, so that Fulci confesses, and then nobody investigates a psychiatrist. Right. Yeah, but and he's got like this portable thing that makes this uh, noise that's supposed to put Fulci in the trance. <laughs> right, sonic <laughs> weapon. Yeah, <laughs> so I guess he just follows Fulci around all day and just plays this noise, and then when he sees an opportunity to kill somebody, he does it. Yeah, I mean, if it were later on in cinema, it would be like the Inception. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it would. Yeah. But it's some kind of like do 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 do. Yeah, he plays a little tune, <laughs> a little buzz, yeah. and then you'll think you've committed terrible crimes. But it was me. It was me all along, and he 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 goes on his own killing spree, and then Fulci keeps hallucinating violence. Like this is a persistent thing throughout the whole movie. Every other scene will have Fulci's perspective, seeing something absolutely horrifying take place, and it's like, oh, but yeah. that didn't happen. 
but but sometimes it did because sometimes he's actually watching the killer. Right. And sometimes he's just watching his own movies. Sometimes he's imagining things. But at no point uh, is he actually killing anyone. No. Uh, he does not kill anyone in the movie. I don't think. Except maybe at the very end, but maybe not. Right, because we have that like twist, twist, twist ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is like, what's real? Oh no. <laughs> uh yeah so yeah he's hallucinating all these different kills and they're all super gory like melting corpses in the microwave uh people dissolving in acid there's the part where the that entire family gets annihilated and he he imagines the child going out the front door and someone waiting with a chainsaw and just chainsawing the head <laughs> clean off as the kid is like running that is the yep. funniest thing <laughs> oh my god Uh, so while he's imagining all this stuff uh the doctor is stalking a lady in a boathouse and manages to kill these two other dudes yeah uh he's just on a whole uh, killing spree yeah like with a big hook that like just rips out her guts and all that you know yeah gory messy messy gore we're doing fulci gore scenes like a classic a lot of these are gore scenes that exist in his other movies and that are sort of references to his other ones uh, my favorite is when he's trying to run the guy over. Yeah. <laughs> and like, he's in his car and the guy's like, what do you want from me, Fulci? And he just keeps <laughs> running and the car's chasing him for like a few minutes. And I'm like, how have you not caught up to this guy? He's 10 feet in front of you. He's Fuad Ramses. He, he has a time <laughs> displacement power. Uh, That's exactly what it made me think of. <laughs> I think this is something from Touch of Death. Like the, the uh, movie okay. that he's shooting in this movie. One of the movies he's shooting in it oh all right um so and he runs the guy over a whole bunch of times but then he looks under his car it's just a random muffler he's running over yeah and and most of his violent scenes are like that yeah it's revealed to be nothing but he's driving in his car (laughs) this part made me laugh more than any other part of the whole film he's listening to the radio and it's like we interrupt this broadcast to bring you breaking news a prostitute has been killed (laughs) no nobody's interrupting shit in the 80s for a dead prostitute breaking news that that is absolutely not a thing yeah that's a hallucination uh (laughs) you don't bust into a song for that I, i don't know if that even gets reported maybe in italy because uh, yeah, maybe in, it... in Italy, I think it might be like a legal oh, profession, maybe. but even so, it's a thing that happens a lot in the yeah. 80s. And I know there were some major Italian serial killer cases as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. But Fulci's got this buddy who's a detective, uh, Detective Gabriella or Inspector Gabriella. Mm-hmm. And they're they're like on a first name basis. He goes to the detective's house, and this is where he sees the chainsaw killing the kid and all that. Right. <laughs> his whole house, everyone in his household is murdered, uh, and some of them are quite hilarious. And you see Fulci reacting, so like, "Oh my god, I can't believe it!" <laughs> and he, he thinks that the killer has killed all of them. Like, it's not a thing where he thinks he did it, but he goes to find Gabriella. Yeah, and Gabriella shows up. And he's like, I don't know how to tell you this, but your whole family is dead. And he's like, no, dude, my whole family is in vacation on Sardinia. Yeah, you definitely didn't see them get murdered at home because they're not 
there. <laughs> They're on holidays. <laughs> like, oh, well, that's that's actually really relieving. <laughs> but <laughs> Professor Schwartz, it, this has all been a ruse mainly so that he could kill his wife, right? Yeah, that's that's what this is all about. He yeah. wants to kill his wife because he needs to make his marital problems everybody's problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she won't bear him a child. He needs the perfect child. You know, he's, he's like a coffin show or something. Something like that. Uh, <laughs> it, it just like it's it's an it's like the Tylenol killer. He he is just finding he he is causing all of this chaos to deflect from the wife being the real target. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> and the thing is, Fulci doesn't even catch the guy. He gets killed by the police off screen. <laughs> yeah. Real, uh, the man of the East got sucked into a jet engine moment. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, Fulci has the whole thing where he's he's being followed around by the professor, the, yeah. the psychiatrist, and having these visions, and he just passes out in a field. <laughs> yeah, and the, the detective wakes him up. He's like, yeah, so... We knew the whole time it wasn't you. We've been following. We've been trailing you this whole time. We know it's the professor. It's a real uh, the wrong guy shit. It's like, yeah. no, we. How could it possibly be you? <laughs> we knew it wasn't you. That that would be ridiculous. <laughs> and he's like, oh, so I'm innocent, and and all that. And he's like, yep. Yeah, we we <laughs> we killed him yesterday. He's dead. <laughs> yeah, he's dead. <laughs> um, you can see his body if you like. Oh. Yeah. It's like I, I actually would. That would be kind of rad. <laughs> so we get the the final scene where him and it's actually the doctor's secretary who mentioned that she wanted to be in his movies, but they never really interacted beyond that. Nurse Lily. Uh, they're on a boat. Yeah, yeah they're on Lily. a boat called Perversion. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that. Uh, he he does have a movie called Perversion also. Oh, so it's named cool. after one of those. Uh and then she goes down into the cabin and then he goes down there and maybe cuts her up with a chainsaw. We hear chainsaw sounds <laughs> and screaming. <laughs> and then he comes up and we just hear it cut. Well, he comes up and he put he baits a bunch of hooks oh, with, yeah, he baits with a bunch bits of, of with people. Her, her ear and hands hand, and stuff. Yeah. And he's like, enjoy your fishing, Mr. Fulci. And then it's cut, and the crew all comes cut, out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and she comes up from the boat, and he's like, "Oh yeah, so we got the shot. Yep, cool. I'm going on vacation right now, sailing off into the sunset, literally." Yep. Um. Yeah. Th that's it. <laughs> I liked it a lot. That's a lot of fun. Uh, Lots, so so much gore, so much stuff. <laughs> it is legitimately one of the goriest movies I've ever seen, and it's fun for one that's mostly a comedy. Like it, it plays it heavily for laughs. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Which, uh, I mean, most of the kills that we see aren't really happening. Yeah, uh, but yeah, a great time. Uh, all pretty fun movies, uh, fun gore ass stuff this week. Uh, so, do you have any last thoughts on any of those three before we carry on to part three? It feels like I have a cat inside my brain, and it's eating my brain. Now, you know, cats like those brains. All right, on to <laughs> part three. And we're back for part three, where we're talking about all the other movies we've watched on physical media in the past week. 
and we're going to decide what we're going to cover next week because we got a bunch of picks this week. We've got 16 picks. Oh, wow. Main feature. One of the higher numbers I've had in a while. Yeah, yeah. Zoom the highest number so far this year. Mm-hmm. So first up, we've got Black Cat 2. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I like this so much more than the first one. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. you were making it sound real good when you were talking about it. I, I feel like it basically addresses every complaint we had when we were talking about it. Uh, you know how the fake outs at the start were really annoying and they kind of made the movie have no consequences by the end? Yep. <laughs> it develops consequences for them right at the start. Oh. <laughs> She's like her chips malfunctioning. And so she goes out and she finds an old lady at, at like one of the Vancouver downtown malls. I think it's the Galleria. And she just finds an old lady who kind of looks like that queen lady from the plane and she shoots her in the head. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, it's just some random old lady. So they, they kind of have to take her back in for reprogramming. She's having all these issues. Also, there's an there's a villain. There's like an actual antagonist guy. Oh, yeah. The last one didn't have that. <laughs> nope. This guy's cool. He's got a grappling hook like Scorpion. Like it comes out from his wrist and he can fire it. He wears Get like over a, here. Yeah. He wears like a black duster and he's radioactive. They trace him and his associates by radioactivity. Radioactive. Radioactive. Uh but the best part is definitely to me that it was very recognizably said in Vancouver and Victoria. <laughs> the end of the movie has the White House, but it's played by the BC legislature. <laughs> you know, they look the same. <laughs> and they, they have like a Reagan impersonator and a Yeltsin impersonator hanging out there on the steps at the legislature. At, on the steps. Well, they, they do go inside. They have a few shots in like the tourist areas. Because the thing is, like, I can recognize every single place here. It's so recognizable to me. I've been here so many times. And oh, they, they go inside the legislature and they go to watch a theater performance. And it's like, hey, that's the Royal Theater. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. Cool. Uh, there's like snowboard ninja assassins. It's, it's oh, awesome. yeah. You showed me a. You should be a clip of that. Yeah, it rules. Uh, next, from uh, the Forgotten Gialli Volume 6, a box from Vinegar Syndrome, Naked You Die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one, it's it's an early, early Giallo, so it's actually not as uh, sleazy as that title would sound, you know? Oh, uh, okay. Like, there's no nudity. <laughs> Oh, for instance, <laughs> like the guy does kill them when they're naked, but you don't actually see any nudity. Black Love yeah. Killer, obviously. Of course. Um, it, it was a Mario Bava production initially. Like he started it. He uh, got the script together. He kind of did a lot of the designs and then he kind of abandoned it. So it's Antonio Margarita, who's another really excellent uh, Italian horror and a uh, giallo director i think you've seen a margariti just looking at the stuff which ones he's done oh he did cannibal apocalypse oh. no, you you have not seen any i don't think no. he did cannibal apocalypse which is okay one that i've i've mentioned a number of times oh yes <laughs> but you know it, it's very it's got a real Agatha Christie kind of vibe. <laughs> it's uh, just, uh, there's a killer killing people and leaving them naked. Uh, but 
you know, it's very light, very comedic. There's a real chill lounge score. It's very colorful. Cool. <laughs> and next is Crimes at the Dark House, which is the last one in the Todd Slaughter box, the criminal acts of Todd Slaughter. So we'll be picking from the inactive stacks again this week. Okay. Uh, this one, it was weird because all of the characters are kind of trying to play at the big hammy level of Todd Slaughter. Oh, hmm. like it feels like a farce where he's a murderer who, because it's, it's a, it's an assumed identity thing where in Australia, in like, uh, there's a gold rush in Australia. I don't recall when this was, but right. uh, he kills this guy and it's this dude who has a title. So he's like, Oh shit, I'm going to go back and I'll live on his riches. Uh, but mm-hmm. there's not much gold. It's like he, he's kind of been a real, it's, it's been a blowout. He didn't really find any gold. So uh, when he get, gets back, he finds that the guy actually had no money. In fact, he just had quite a great deal of debt. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it feels like he murdered a character from a farce. And then as a serial killer has shown up in a farce and doesn't know what to do with himself. Cause it's like all of these people are ridiculous, but he does, you know, kill them one by one. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> Um, I mean, like all of them, it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, they're they're very cheap movies. They they're very repetitive. You kind of just get Todd Slaughter doing the same character each time. It's more just the tone of the movie around him that changes. Okay. Anyway, next up <laughs> is one you've seen, Predator. Predator, an all time classic. Yeah, just... I haven't seen it since I was a teenager, but I've seen oh, it. I've seen it so many times. This, this is one I return to quite a bit. Uh, the the best big dudes lineup of all time. You got Schwarzenegger. <laughs> you got Carl Weathers. R.I.P. Uh, Carl Weathers. Tremendous in this. The two of them have the the handshake that shook the world. Of course. <laughs> um, the Predator himself is such a fucking cool design. You got Jesse Ventura <laughs> doing his <laughs> I, thing. I just remember him. I think mowing down the whole forest with a minigun. Yeah, all painless. <laughs> Bill Duke as for some reason his best friend, like uh, Jesse Ventura's character's best friend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just it rules. It's a, just a, it's a very tight action movie. It's it's this commando movie until like halfway through when it turns into an alien kind of horror movie. That's awesome. Just, yeah. It holds up great. <laughs> might I might go back to that. We might. We'll see. Maybe, maybe. Next is One Missed Call. First in the trilogy. Uh, so th- only the first of them is by Takashi Miike. This one is a Takashi Miike film. All right. Well, we've done a few of those now. Yeah. This one, it's not as Miike. Uh, like, it doesn't have as much of his personal stamp on it. Mm, okay uh it's very post ring you know there there were those you know ring was extremely influential and they did the grudge and they are juan and uh dark yeah. water and so forth and uh, they're all in that style this is very much in that style and it's okay. the same kind of uh, uh chain letter kind of deal where uh there's this witch who who's cursed someone uh, and they're 
it's sort of a Freddy Krueger type thing where they're getting to the next person through that person, but they, uh, she, she curses them and then they receive a voice message from the future. Okay. Like with, with a timestamp and everything that says what, what time it was left. So they know exactly what time they're going to die because it's a voicemail of themselves dying in the future. Okay. Okay. So they hear themselves die. And they hear what they say just before they die. So they're obviously thinking they're going to be able to prevent their death, I guess. I mean, they sort of think about that, but then they're always still surprised. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they're not paying that much attention to it. Sometimes it's like very soon after. Uh, oh. But yeah, it, you know, it, it passes. The, the way it passes is that after they die, it texts to another person in their contact list. Okay. Okay. So it's it's like spreading through their their contacts and just anyone else. Uh, there there's a fun moment after the first person just is obliterated by a train. Uh, their severed hand is texting <laughs> <laughs> to to pass the curse on to the next person. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so that that was kind of a good Mike bit. I mean, I, I I've mentioned this before. I've never owned a cell phone, so yeah, <laughs> this doesn't. <laughs> It wasn't that scary to me. <laughs> I was like, oh no, they're going to get me. Yeah. What happens if you don't pick up the phone? Well, it, it, it always leaves a voice message because it's one missed call. Oh, right, call. it's a voicemail. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. One missed call. Ooh, I don't <laughs> listen to my voicemail. I might be in trouble. <laughs> well, you'd know what time it was. Mm. Uh, so next is Emmanuel, or no, uh, from the Emmanuel box, it's porno knights of the world also known as sexy night report (laughs) (laughs) this one's actually directed by bruno matai but like a lot of it is also directed by um joe damato i think it's sort of like shadow co-directed by him okay who did uh uh, the last one the one that we covered last week right Uh, last cannibals as as well as like the three before that or something Uh, this is from the same year as that one. This one is like just a straight Mondo film. And I don't know if you've ever seen a Mondo film. I don't know if I have either, honestly. I've definitely heard of them. Like, I guess in a sense, um, Untamed Mistress is a Mondo film. It's just they kind of try to pretend it isn't. Like the, the concept of a Mondo film is like you have a narrator who is usually kind of sarcastic and talks about, oh, you know, the fallen state of this world uh and they uh give voiceover as they look at just crazy imagery of just real shit around the world and then usually you'll have a bunch of fake shit in there too okay that's what this is cool (laughs) it's uh, emmanuel is the narrator i would say the first 15 minutes are really fun and then it just kind of it's the same thing for the rest of it uh (laughs) but like them just listing all of the titles of what all the sequences are going to be was like very high laugh quotient. I was howling. <laughs> it's very, very funny. Uh, just hearing what all of the different titles are going to be was very amusing. And then the first title or the first sequence is Emmanuel watching this stripper and she's like, roasting the shit out of her. <laughs> I, I guess she, she's, doing this in a clumsy way to mimic the fact that the character she's playing is supposed to be inexperienced. <laughs> it's like really sarcastic. Leave uh, her alone. <laughs> and, and like, there's a lot of just crummy comedic 
uh, stage shows of like people doing sex stage shows around the world. Uh, and Emmanuel kind of making fun of him. <laughs> uh, she changes clothes between scenes, of course. Yeah, obviously. We, yeah. we cut back to her in a room and she like gets undressed and puts on something different. <laughs> uh, next up is one uh, that you watched Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, so it's my first time ever seeing that. Uh, I didn't even get spoiled for the ending, so yeah. wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was not at all what I expected. It's quite a thing, right? I think it's one of the great slashers. I I love how summer campy it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you get just uh, a real full summer camp experience, and it, it is crazy to be... Like, it is super nasty. Like, the... the the kills are pretty gruesome and they're all kids yeah <laughs> like yeah. most like all of the friday the 13th ones the kids just haven't even gotten to camp yet this one is the kids are at camp and there's many of the victims <laughs> yeah yeah and <laughs> although the the pedophile chef getting it is so funny <laughs> I do love how everybody, all the kills, everyone's like through the killer's POV and everyone's just like, oh, it's you, specific person who I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's unusual for me to find you in this particular situation, but I definitely know who you are. Oh, you're killing me, person. You, you. Hey, hey, Babariba. Hey, Babariba. Oh, it's you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, also, you got Robert Earl Jones in there, James Earl Jones's dad. <laughs> I thought he'd get to do more. He's only really in a couple scenes. Yeah, he, he's just there to be like, I guess it's okay that the pedophile chef died. I can take his job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we also watched Maniac. Your thoughts on Maniac for a first viewing? Uh, yeah, that was... It reminded me of like a really dirty psycho yeah, it's very grim, very, uh, very New York. It, it yeah. has a real authentic that era of New York crime. The the kind of Forty Second Street grindhouse, uh, real nasty stuff, and just the gore effects in this are so good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That Tom Savini <laughs> head explosion. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that. One that hell was of a probably thing. my favorite part. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and just you know, it, it's uh, Joe Spinell is great. I think he's fantastic as the as Frank Zito, the maniac. Oh, I yeah. think he's really scary. He's he's super scary. Uh, next, we've got the abominable Doctor Fibes. Is that oh. classic Vincent Price? Yeah. Uh, in this one, he is this guy. His wife died some years ago supposedly both of them died i think in a car wreck uh but he was just terribly burned and he's mostly a skeleton now he just kind of rebuilds his face with putty sometimes when he goes out okay okay but he's thought to be dead he's believed dead and he lives in a crypt and he just is this skeleton man who plays an organ underground with uh (laughs) he's got like this neon setup with a bunch of clockwork bandmates and he has some sexy nurses that he sends out to do his bidding Hmm. all right (laughs) so anyway he decides he's going to get revenge on the doctors who failed to save his wife and he's going to visit all of the plagues of egypt on them oh or the curses of egypt i think it's the 10 curses so it's sort of slashery in that sense where just 
we get to see these really crazy kills by some type of thing like he'll uh the, for a plague of locusts he he puts some green stuff on this lady's face uh through <laughs> a hole in her ceiling and then funnels locusts into the room and they eat her down to the skeleton <laughs> that sounds awesome yeah there's a lot of weird stuff there's like the curse of ice and he freezes some guy alive in his car hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah just really bizarre stuff and they're most of it is following the police investigation and it's it's comedy they're idiots like they're completely incompetent <laughs> they're just uh, the their boss is always mad at them <laughs> <laughs> next is blood for dracula and also fun satirical vampire movie hmm. this is uh andy warhol presents uh, so this was the Andy Warhol Dracula to go with the Andy Warhol Flesh for Frankenstein, both directed by Paul Morrissey. Okay. So s- same cast, you got Udo Kier as Dracula. I think you'd know Udo Kier from stuff. He's just a, I mean, he's been in stuff for years. Definitely a name that I've heard before. He is Dracula and he's just comically frail and sickly and he's just very particular about his diet and he doesn't like sunshine it, it doesn't <laughs> kill him he just it, he's very sensitive to the sun uh really like he, he he gets a room and there's a cross on the wall and he's just like oh i hate this shit and he pulls it off the wall and puts it in a drawer <laughs> like, none of it's like actually deadly to him it just it fucking annoys the shit out of him <laughs> Oh, let me guess. You were going to give me extra garlic bread. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's sickly, he's pale, he like his whole family line is disintegrating. You know, it's his his vampire line in Transylvania. And he decides he's going to move to Italy and find like his his very Nazi-esque assistant has decided that Italy is the best place to go because the Catholic Church still has a real stronghold there, and that's where he can find a virgin bride. Okay, uh, there's there is logic to that. I don't know if it's correct logic, but it turns out not to be correct logic. This is a satire, <laughs> uh, but yeah, th- that's the idea. And because the 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 thing with him as a vampire is that he has to have virgin blood. I, I believe non-virgin blood is poisonous to him it seems oh. to be there's a couple sequences where he uh bites someone thinking they're a virgin and then he is copiously throwing up blood into a, <laughs> a tub for like five minutes <laughs> 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 happens a couple times because uh, he goes to this villa where there's several available daughters and they're all unmarried so he thinks they should be virgins because they're all good catholics and they're all talking up how good catholics mm. they are oh I, I i do see where this is going <laughs> <laughs> but they've got this handyman he, he's a, he's a working class guy joe d'alessandro and he's been teaching them marxist theory and also he's been having <gasps> sex with them not marxist theory there's it's probably my favorite moment in the movie where uh the servant tells joe d'alessandro's character go do something and he refuses to do it and he's absolutely astonished and he's like i thought you were a servant he's like i'm a worker not a servant get to know the difference (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, just worker theory. There, there's a lot of <laughs> politics in it. And obviously just this frail, sickly, crappy aristocrat who's just dying if he eats the wrong food. But uh, Joe D'Alessandro's the tough handyman who's spouting his Marxist theory as a hammer and sickle drawn uh, on the wall over his bed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he's, you know, sleeping with the girls before Dracula can get to them. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And the ending is very slapsticky, but very bloody. Hmm. All right. Next is the last horror film, which is kind of a quasi-Maniac sequel. Uh, oh. It's released by Severin uh, as Maniac 2, Love to Kill. So it is Joe Spinell again, but it's mm-hmm. both Maniac and Taxi Driver that it's playing with. Oh, okay. Okay. You ever seen Taxi Driver? No, I never did. <sighs> Great movie uh it, it is uh it, it it figures very heavily into this because in because it you know taxi driver you have robert de niro as this taxi driver who has certain thoughts and he really wants to impress this uh underage hooker played by jodie foster and there's this uh, lady who works at a campaign finance thing that he is into but he turns her off because he's such a weirdo when she gets to know him. Cause you know, he's this weird conspiracy guy and he's going down a rabbit hole. Right. Uh, and anyway, he commits this big act of violence at the end of the movie to try to impress everyone. And then a uh, okay. couple years later, this dude, John Hinckley tries to shoot Reagan to try to impress Jodie Foster, just like, cause, was... cause he'd seen taxi driver. I was just thinking, I was like, didn't somebody yeah. else do an act of violence to oppress specifically Jodie Foster? Because of Taxi Driver, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so shit. that's swirling in the news at the time this movie is being made. Oh, oh. So you got, and they, they made it on the cheap, they made it really fast. They go to Con, the Con Film Festival mm-hmm. uh, that year, and it's just the best stuff is just documentary of all the stuff that was being promoted at con in 1981. You see like these huge lavish promos for, uh, for your eyes only the latest bond film. Like there's an entire hotel lobby that is set up to be uh, promoting it. And just Hmm. background of every movie poster from 81. There's stuff even I had never heard of. It was like, Holy shit. (laughs) I, this is lost time. (laughs) (laughs) cool uh but yeah he goes there and uh he's gonna make his massive horror opus because he dreams of being a horror director but he's a new york cab driver right right uh so he goes there and he uh he's following around the cast of this horror film that has oscar buzz so there's like a big horror film that they think is going to be huge success Okay. Uh, like the lead actress they think is going to win best actress this year. Like she's the front runner, which mm. doesn't really happen with horror movies. And there's like clearly a scene where she gets beheaded in the movie. And it's just like total fucking crazy as shit. <laughs> anyway, the killing spree commences. A bunch of people from the cast of the horror film are getting killed. <gasps> and uh, they're, it, it seems to be shot. And like, it, it's very bloodstream esque. It seems like someone is shooting them as a snuff film. And they keep getting these notes and like, this will be your last horror film. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like, is he committing the crimes? Is he or is somebody else doing it? What's what's going on? Okay. <laughs> Next is the sinister Dr. Orloff. 
Uh, this is a late period Jess Franco, or Jesus Franco, from the 80s. It's a sequel to a movie he did in the 60s. Like, I think it was his first film, The Awful Dr. Orloff. <laughs> oh, okay. He's uh, he's not awful anymore. He's just sinister. Yeah, he's actually turned around. He's He's got a new leaf. It's his son that's the problem these days. Oh. So it is the original Dr. Orloff who's back, Howard Vernon. He, he's in a lot of Jesus Franco. He's, a, he's like his main guy. Cool. Uh, so back in like the original Orloff, who's this dude who was trying to revive his dead wife by uh, getting parts from young women and doing all sorts of mad science experiments. And he had like an Android guy with sunglasses who was just sort of a tough guy who strangled people and shit. Right. right, uh, right. So we still have all of that. It's just now Orloff, he's gotten a lot older and he's kind of seen the error of his ways and his son now is a doctor, but he's now killing women and trying to revive his mother, the same old uh, mad science experiments. Mm, all right. And so he, he like goes to his dad and his dad's like, I don't like the way you keep doing this. I think you're maybe just turning into a serial killer and this isn't actually about your mother at all anymore. And uh, I mean, I'm past this and I think you should get past this. And I was like, you don't know what you're talking about, dad. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing uh it was fun <laughs> it's mostly just nightlife you know it is a franco movie so it's just hanging out in uh spanish nightlife post uh censorship you know it's, it's after franco died and things have totally loosened up and all the censorship is uh off so they're just hanging out in alicante and checking things out cool cool next is cut and run is a ruggero deodato he's the guy who did cannibal holocaust you know the the big video the biggest video nasty the, <laughs> the major cannibal one is him doing a cannibal boom film in the mid 80s and sort of updating the style okay so you got like a team of reporters but they're for like a video tv station like channel 83 or whatever channel <laughs> 83 news and willie ames bible man himself is the missing son of the studio executive <laughs> so he's lost in the jungle and there there's some video reporters out trying to find him because there's you know cannibals or something right. uh but the thing is the the indio tribes people they've been gathered together by a guy who he survived the jonestown massacre he's like a mercenary who they say in his introduction he's the one who gave jim jones the idea <laughs> Uh, <laughs> of course of course so he has been gathering the tribes people together as well as michael berryman who i don't know if he's supposed to be playing a tribes person because he's a huge giant white guy with the bald <laughs> head who's like the most recognizable dude in the world uh if you've ever seen the poster for the hills have eyes that's him oh, okay <laughs> so yeah they're doing just these berserker raids on people and uh, doing all these massacres and killing the white people in the forest so that he can consolidate everything and clear out all of the uh, people in the area so he can take over all of the cocaine running in the area. Oh. So, you know, we're, we're doing most of the cannibal boom stuff, but it's about drugs now since yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the 80s. Uh, next is Bad Moon. This is a werewolf movie. I believe I mentioned this one last week. Uh, I think so, yeah. Uh, I was confused last week because I was thinking about The Hitcher uh, and trying to remember how the director is related to it. He didn't direct it, but he wrote The Hitcher. 
Oh, okay. Um, and he also did body parts. He wrote and directed body parts, which we previously <laughs> covered, and it's a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this one is him doing a werewolf movie. Uh, Mid nineties. Uh, the the kid in the movie is Dennis the Menace, and it's like the same year or the year after Dennis the Menace, so he looks exactly the same. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and they've got this German Shepherd, and uh, it's his mom's brother has turned into a werewolf like we we see a sequence in the jungle at the start where he's having sex in a tent and the lady he's with gets uh shredded by the werewolf and it bites him but he doesn't die but obviously he becomes a werewolf of course of course and it's one of these 90s ones so it has to kind of recognize that werewolf movies exist and recognize that there are tropes and decide which ones it's going to adhere to and i it does it relatively well. Like it, it's not as cutesy or in your face with it as some. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> like it, it, there, there's a part where Dennis the Menace is watching a werewolf movie on TV, and uh, the werewolf guy. It's like, <laughs> yeah, and they you know, they they make it out like uh, it only happens in the full moon. It's like, well, yeah, that's how it works. And like, it's every moon. <laughs> so he's so tired. <laughs> The dog immediately gets that he's a werewolf. The The dog of the family is totally on his case right from the beginning. Oh, dogs always know. So he decides to, like, it's pretty late in the movie by this point that he decides to blame the rampage on the dog. <laughs> get away with it. <laughs> yeah. Strange thing. Uh, next is Death Squad, also known as Ooh. Brigade of Death. Oh, this is a mid '80s French crime movie, very Poliziotesque esque, super fucking violent. Oh, one cop will stop at nothing for revenge. Ooh. He's got to get revenge. So you got this hit squad. There's these four dudes who dress in all black leather, have black helmets, and they show up on motorbikes with fucking machine guns and they hit people. You know, they, they right. go after a cer- certain person, like all of them are sort of vaguely associated with law enforcement. Like there's someone who's a criminal infor- or criminal informant. There's one who's, there's an undercover cop that they accidentally kill. They, they don't realize <laughs> that she's an undercover cop at the time. There's a lady who's just a daughter of a judge. So, you know, people adjacent to law enforcement, it's more of a terror campaign. Right, right. But the thing is they kill them and they also kill everybody else who's in the vicinity at the time. So they're just like going on these fucking massacres. All right. <laughs> like opening sequence, there's uh, a bunch of transvestite hookers at uh roadside and you know, it's Italy or no, I mean, it's, it's France. So it's semi legal, I believe. I think right. there's a legality think, to it. I think so. So like one of them is an undercover copper is a police informant and they're all just like, mostly nude by the roadside showing off their wares and talking Mm -hmm. to people and like sometimes people drive by and harass them and sometimes people are picking them up and then these dudes on motorbikes show up and just fucking gun everyone down very bloody and violent right at the start of the movie uh and there's a lot of that Uh, it's super fucking violent the end of the movie it basically turns into a slasher movie uh where you've got the cop who wants revenge who's been taken off the force going after the last bad guy who has gone really psychotic and has been slashing people and jumping out of the shadows and like putting knives in people's eyes. Wow. <laughs> All right. 
pretty full tilt. Cool. And we end on a wet fart with Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines. Saw I saw this in theater on opening day. I did not catch it in theater. I, I skipped it. I, I saw from the trailers that I was going to be mad at it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was. I, yeah, like, I saw it yeah. years later, and I, this is the first time watching it in maybe a decade. It fucking stinks. I hate it. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> it's it's so low quality. Like, it, it feels very cheap. It feels like a TV production, even though it's clearly really expensive. It just feels low energy it feels lazy everyone's really checked out i mean this is the year arnold became the governor of california it's the same year oh oh so, well that explains yeah that, he was, at least he was not trying he's not into it <laughs> uh it, it just feels so sweaty it feels like uh it just this desperation to get a new entry into this franchise so that they can make more money it really feels like they're trying to make a buck and there's not really a much more to it yeah, you that's know? about what I remember. <laughs> they're they're just putting all the pieces together and saying like, well, this is kind of like a a Terminator movie, right? And we're putting all the same bits together, but you don't have any kind of creative vision, uh, and there's no reason for it. Like, I hate the ending. I, I like people often praise the ending for being at least kind of a swerve. Like they end the world at the end. Yeah, Spoilers, I right. guess. Yeah. But it just pisses me off because it's like that. It just I mean, the whole existence of this movie is annoying, especially with the hand wave at the beginning when John Connor's like, well, I thought we stopped Judgment Day. And he's like, you can't stop Judgment Day. You can only postpone it. Fuck you. Then that just made the whole other previous movie pointless. And all those (laughs) heroic sacrifices and incredible moments at the end of that movie sort of hollow. That sucks. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, uh, I hate it. Sucks. So, so I'm this, not going to pick Terminator 3. <laughs> those are our 16 picks for next week. What do you figure? Uh, let's see. Uh, well, I definitely want to do Blood of Dracula. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also... Uh, I'm torn. I'm, I only want to do one more because I, I got to go back to work next week. I've been off for the last three weeks on holiday. Mm. So, But I'm not sure which one. Mm. So I'm, I'm thinking one missed call... Uh, doc. It's between one missed call, Doctor Fibes, Predator, and uh, what is it? Brigade of Death. Brigade of and Death. Maybe Black Cat too. I don't know. Black Cat too. I mean, it, it it does really address our issues with the other one. I would say one missed call is so so. Like honestly, okay. really lesser Mike. Uh, it, it's it, it just is a. It's a decently stylish version of one of those J horror films in the exact style that all of them are in, but mm. there's not a lot more verve to it. Like I don't feel yeah, okay. like Mike brings a lot of personality to it. It's kind of one of just his really mainstream properties. Oh, uh, well that's yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I kind of need that Mike touch. Otherwise it's just going to be another one of those, yeah. I guess. And there's some of it. It's just, there's not enough of it to make it really distinct. Okay. Uh, well, okay. You know what? I, I am going back on what I said. Let's do Black Cat Two because I do feel like I, I kind of don't want to leave it on that kind of sour note from the first one because I didn't really like that. And yeah, and give it a chance it to redeem like the, itself, and we yeah. can we can uh, re- just like we did with Santet, we can 
uh, kind of contrast the sequels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I still want to do Blood for Dracula, mm-hmm. and we'll do the Death Brigade. So we'll do three and just disregard where I said I wouldn't. That's fair. I, there, there's going to be like death brigade or uh death squad there's not gonna be a ton to say about it it's just it's a fucking crazy ass experience uh yeah blood for dracula i think there'll be lots to talk about and black cat too it just it it needs the redemption arc yeah (laughs) it's so much fun (laughs) uh so we have just a handful of additions to the stacks first is the bloodstained shadow last one in uh the forgotten box volume six uh it's the someone seeming to carry on a series of murders that happened seven years ago that were unsolved and just suddenly starting back up again. So bloodstained shadow. Mm. Uh, Next is one missed call two. It's a trilogy. Uh, This one's by some different director. Okay. Uh, Uh, Renpei Tsukamoto, not the Tsukamoto that we know. Unrelated as far as I know. Uh, But yeah, uh, Someone opens their daughter's cell phone and the daughter's phone get, tells him he's going to die and then he dies. Mm. And, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> cell phone death. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, next is Emmanuel and the Porno Knights of the World uh, or, or Porno Knights of the World Part 2. Mm-hmm. So her looking at more Mondo stuff and being sarcastic about it. <laughs> probably be pretty fun. Sure. <laughs> uh, next is Dr. Fives Rises Again, the sequel to The Abominable Dr. Fives, where he comes back from the grave and gets more revenge. Cool. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, next one I'm extremely excited about called Special Silencers. This is another Indonesian horror film. Oh. Uh, sort of a horror crime film. There's this guy who wants to, I think he's trying to take over a drug trade, as these guys in these try to do. Uh, but he's got these red pills called his special silencers. And <laughs> just reading the description, <laughs> if use the actually, I'll let you say, I'll let you do it. <laughs> say what you're going to say. If he uh, makes someone, if people eat them, they burst out of their chest as branches. They just fucking ch- come out of their body like bloody tree branches. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've seen some shots from it. It looks fucking rad. It's one I've been really wanting to see. And I've been into Indonesian movies lately. They, yeah, they've been, uh, well, I've only seen a handful of them myself, but they've been, they've been good. Yeah, those Sentat ones were really fun. Uh, and last edition is Killer. This is a, I believe it's a shot on eight millimeter horror movie uh-huh. from the late 80s. Dude who's gone nuts uh, goes on a murder spree and he's also eating the bodies and stuff. Uh, I hear it's just like really crazy. I it, my understanding is it's got a kind of a killing spree vibe to it. Mm, interesting. You know, uh, the uh, Tim Ritter killing spree. Right. So we're doing another pick from the inactive stacks this week. What do you figure? What do I figure? Uh, well, let's see. What else do we have on here that's gory? I think this is going to be the last. No, it is not the last month of February. The last uh, week of, uh, yeah, ne- we'll be recording on the 28th next week. Yeah, so we, we still got another week after this. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, though. We've got... Okay, so it's come up a whole bunch, but uh, in conversation over the last few years or whatever, let's finally do Oasis of the Zombies. Oasis of the Zombies. Uh, one of my favorite ambient horror films. Uh, I think this might be your first Jess Franco, too. Uh, I don't know if you've possibly. seen any of Franco's. 
uh, it's a very particular style. It's not unlike Jean Roland, but trashier. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of nudity, kind of slow mo horror. Uh, there is one zombie whose face will make you laugh so much. His <laughs> oh, his eyes wait. bulging out of his head. <laughs> I'm excited already. Uh, I'm a huge fan of this one. This was one of the video nasties. Uh, it, it's I don't really know why. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's like in, in that uh, video nasty set that Severin did. There's uh, I think it's either Kim Newman or Stephen Thrower talking about this one specifically and how. It's more likely to make you fall asleep than uh, <laughs> terrify you. Uh, it's very ambient. There's a lot of slow-mo stuff. Uh, the plot doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> I, I love it. It just people stumbling over old World War II stuff in bushes that is not in the slightest hidden. And then they'll like pull <laughs> on it and zombies will come out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sounds like it could be fun. They're, they're guarding Nazi gold. You know, like they do. Not the Nazi gold. I think not so much of it. All right, so next week, then, we will be covering Oasis of the Zombies, Black Cat 2, Blood for Dracula, and Death Squad. All right. <laughs> Should be uh, lots of fun. forward to it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so do you have any last thoughts on any of those before we close for this week? don't turn into a tiger and eat people it's just it's not it's not socially acceptable uh also long live the new flesh <laughs> <laughs>